This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 76. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler. Kyler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is the podcast that comes out every Wednesday. It has everything to do with digital transformation. Here is where we cover all things related to digital strategy, including the people, process, technology, and strategy side of change. Um, Like I said, new episodes every Wednesday. You can find us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, as well as all of the audio podcast platforms. Thank you all for joining here today. I uh, hope you're all having a good uh, summer uh, for those of you enjoying the summer months in the in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, we have a great show for you today. We've got a, a couple pretty meaty segments here uh, to cover with you today. Uh, first, we're going to get into our, our usual hot topics to start off the show. That'll be the first segment. We're going to talk about change management software, which is always fascinating. Change management is obviously a topic we cover quite often on the show, but we're going to talk about change management software in particular. Um, as it relates to that, we're also going to talk about the digitization of um, lab work. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. I did digitization of lab work, probably because I have so much trouble saying the word digitization that I was so surprised it actually rolled off my tongue that then I forgot what I was going to say after that. So <laughs> we're going to talk about digitization of lab work in the healthcare industry. Um, another sort of use case of how technology is transforming one specific industry. And uh, another industry we'll talk about is farming and agriculture. We'll talk about farm tech in pork production in particular. So if you are interested in or a part of food production, beverage, agriculture, any of those uh, segments, you'll you'll want to stick around for that. And then we'll talk about the dark side of digital transformation fraud. Although I'd be curious to hear if there's a side of digital transformation fraud that is not the dark side, but we can we can get to that when we when we get to that topic here in a second. So those are the hot topics we'll cover here in the opening segment. And then we're also going to get into later in the show, our first guest will be uh, Ridwan Bardian, who is our uh, director of strategy and transformation at Third Stage Consulting Africa. So he's based out of South Africa and handles our uh, Europe, Middle East and Africa region, uh, or he's one of the team members that handles that part of the world or that that part of the uh, our client based in that part of the world. Um, and he's going to be on the show again this week talking about the roles of CIOs, but more specifically, how to avoid failure, how to set CIOs up for success. Uh, being a CIO is a very difficult role. Uh, there's a lot of challenges, a lot of pitfalls. There's oftentimes a bullseye on a CIO to to perform and to there's just a lot of undue pressure um, or sometimes unrealistic pressure on CIOs. So what we want to do today is to talk about what is the role or what should the role be and how can you avoid failure? And more importantly, how can you be successful? in the role of a CIO, IT manager, IT director, chief digital officer, any of those IT leadership roles. So if you're in an IT leadership position or if you aspire to be in an IT leadership position, you'll definitely want to stick around for that segment, which will be later in the show with Ridwan. And then finally, last but not least, uh, Kyler and I are going to have in the third segment an opportunity to 
engage in some dialogue and take some questions from social media and from the audience as it relates to, to emerging tech and digital transformation. So we're going to talk about um, sort of what are some of these emerging technologies? How do you know if these emerging technologies are right for your business? And we also are going to get into how to manage the change, how to navigate that change or that leap from whatever legacy systems or technologies you might be using today to the potential for more advanced, more emerging, more bleeding edge sorts of technologies. And uh, the whole idea there is really to, to engage the audience there. So that'll be with Kyler and I later in the show. But before we get to those other segments, let's uh, get to the, some of these hot topics you have for us, Kyler. Absolutely. Well, let's start with the change management softwares. So we've seen this emergence of a lot of different niche softwares that we kind of talk about later in um, our episode here. But we haven't really discussed a lot of change management software. So basically, these are softwares that you would integrate or implement in your business that would manage the success of your change management initiatives. And to me, Eric, this sounds, this overall process sounds pretty counterintuitive just because of the human aspect that's so involved in change management. So being a career change practitioner, I thought I'd just get your feedback on implementing a change management software and the balance between leveraging a, a very important technology, but also understanding the human component of change management. Yeah. Uh, first of all, if you don't mind me asking, do you know much about what this change management software does? Like what, what component of, of uh, change management does it help manage or automate? Yes. Yes, great question. Um, so the change management tools will help with things like employee engagement, IT service management, um, automations, training programs, um, and then monitoring any sort of disruptions or resistance in whatever project or initiative you're going through as an organization. Gotcha. Okay. So it's a, it's sort of a, it's not any sort of one type of technology. It's, it's sort of a broad category of technologies that can help enable change management. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, I would say so. Um, some, some top 10 lists feature specific systems, um, or tool sets, like for example, what fix, which is an employee onboarding and adopting to new software. Um, it's a, a system that supports those initiatives. Um, and then, also, I think it's pronounced Rike. It's W-R-I-K-E. And that's a collaboration tool um, with teams uh, with a bunch of integrating applications that are really um, highly used and popular. So those are just to give you two specific examples of kind of what they go into. So it's kind of uh, a watering hole type of software meeting an LMS, a learning management system. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great um, great question and a great topic for us to cover in the show because we I don't think we've ever, ever really touched on that. We talk about technology, we talk about change management, but we rarely, if ever, talk about the two combined. And uh, you know, I'd say you know, just to add to your list too. By the way, we have a we have a uh, learning adoption software that we use with our clients uh, that is called Opus, and it's a, a third stage branded solution that allows organizations, regardless of what technology they might be deploying, it's a way to create user training materials and that sort of thing. That's just one example. There's also like Trainual is a, is a common uh, user adoption type of software. So I, I think what you're getting at though, is there's a lot of different types of technologies that can help enable adoption mm -hmm. and change management and that sort of thing. 
And I think the key is really to recognize, you know, first of all, what the change strategy is and how, you know, what the major changes are and how it is you're going to manage and navigate those changes. And then ultimately finding the tools that are going to help you do that. I think it's really important because oftentimes when we think of technology, we are so focused on the, the sort of the operational core technology that we're implementing that we forget that there's actually technology that can help us do the transformation better. Uh, in this case, as it relates to change management in particular. So I think that's a, a really good uh, topic and something worth thinking about too is, you know, how can you invest more heavily to be more effective in change management um, and not over-focus or over-emphasize the, the core operational technology that's sort of that end state you're trying to deploy. So I think it's good stuff. I think it's an area that is underrated and probably doesn't get enough attention. Yeah, and you know, that's a great plug. Our Opus partners will actually be on our Digital Stratosphere podcast um, in the next coming weeks. So be sure to subscribe to that. That's our sister shorter form podcast um, that Eric and I host um, that comes out three times a week. So anywhere you're getting this podcast, you can subscribe to that as well um, and hear from the Opus team because it's a really interesting um, and important piece of digital transformation is obviously in unless you're having those high adoption rates, then you're you're not able to maximize your investment. So definitely an important piece of the overall puzzle of a digital transformation. Yeah. And also another example is, you know, doing an organizational assessment. You know, we have an online tool, a technology and automation, automated way of gathering information from an organization to quantify and sort of scientifically break down their culture, uh, what the strengths and weaknesses are, and it really gives us some good data points to analyze and understand how any particular client or organization is going to struggle with change and where they're not going to struggle with change as much. So it allows us to be a lot more prescriptive and focused in terms of where we where we invest our, our change management efforts. And so that's just another example of another tool that can be used to uh, further enable and, and make the change management process more efficient as well. Absolutely. Definitely an important piece. And sounds to me like maybe a future Eric Kimberling video. I feel it in my spidey senses. Yes. Uh, you'd be surprised at how many of my YouTube videos are inspired by conversations you and I have on the show or <laughs> that you and I have with other guests on the show as well. So absolutely, right? I steal all of my ideas from my YouTube channel from, the, from this podcast. That's efficient. <laughs> That's efficient right there. All the best ideas are stolen. You heard it here. Exactly. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So um, speaking of different environments when it comes to technology adoption, um, the digi digitization, I'm never going to be able to say it, right? Yeah, don't make me say it again. Okay, no. I won't. I said it that time because you said it once. So now we're even. Um, of, of laboratories. Um, so this is a really interesting concept, especially with the COVID-19 pandemic. There's obviously been a ton of research around, um, you know, the spread of disease, the treatments, um, vaccines, those types of, of really emerging new um, research specifically around COVID-19, but also just moving forward in a public health pandemic. How do you treat it? How do you, you know, make sure that you can get in front of any risks? So laboratories have been one of the environments that have gone through an extreme digital transformation. And using technologies, um, one of the barriers that we've we've seen in our research from from these types of environment is just the lack of technology enablement. 
Um, so for scientists, it can be really hard to find a software that meets their needs of experimentation, right? Because they're going through such a process regimen. But without that layer of technology or a system helping them catch variable type of data, they miss out on a lot of key findings just from, you know, a human error aspect uh, type of thing. So I, I wanted to ask you, in knowing if you're going in a very technical environment, such as a lab where it has very standardized processes and a unique environment, how do you go through selecting a software or how do you help those types of environments and businesses um, go through a transformation of bringing technology that will really meet their unique needs? Yeah, and I think it's a good question. I think we are also sort of touching on maybe implied in your question is how can you know what sorts of technology to look to, to help drive some of the improvements that you could be making. So in other words, even if uh, you're part of a healthcare organization that isn't thinking about how to uncover the blind spots of human nature and human analysis and the limitations of the human brain and all that stuff, even if you're not thinking of that top of mind as something you could be doing, or it's not an immediate pain point, there are technologies out there to your point that can help enable that change or that, um, uh, sort of quantum leap improvement to the way that we provide healthcare. Um, doesn't answer your question at all, but I'm sort of answering your question, yeah, no, that's which great. I like to do. It's, it's my way of uh, giving myself time to think about the real answer to your real question. Um, but I think the, the key is really to define that future state and, you know, sort of walk that fine line of mm -hmm. um, defining what your business needs are. First and foremost, I think you always start there as far as what is it that we do today? Where are the pain points and the breakdowns and the things we know we want to fix? What are the things that would be sort of those nice to haves or things that we love to have um, based on what we know about our business? And then a third layer is sort of looking beyond what we think in our own minds and just look at what what other technologies are out there that we're not even thinking about or other capabilities we're not even thinking about. And one of them might be what you're saying here, which is, you know, if I'm a lab and I'm, you know, giving instructions to look at one potential problem like cholesterol level or whatever it is, whatever it is you're, you're instructed to measure. But at the same time, there's other data there that you could be analyzing. You don't want to overlook, even though that wasn't what the lab mm -hmm. technician was instructed to look at, you know, is there a technology that can help you identify that? So I think it's an example of how a lab could add additional value. It could be an area where uh, insurers might like it because it's going to presumably bring down insurance costs because now you're going to catch presumably uh, more issues sooner. Um, rather than waiting until someone recognizes that there's a problem and then going to get some lab work to see if it, it really is a problem or how big of a problem it is. Um, so I, I can only imagine there's so many underlying ailments that so many people overlook that might get caught or might get picked up in, in lab work. So I think that's a good example of something that's not like a, a may not be an immediate thing we need to have and it's not a pain point necessarily, but it's a way if you're a healthcare provider of how you might be able to provide sort of a quantum leap to get ahead of your competition, provide way better service and outcomes and patient results than what you might otherwise. And I think that that's true for any organization, not just in healthcare uh, as well. And what about organizational change in that environment? And this is a complete assumption, but I feel like academics often go right up with engineers in the challenge of, of going through something that's their art, right? Science and specifically in laboratory science, there is a, a certain finesse to how you do experimentation. What are some tactics that organizations that might be in an academia setting can um, 
amplify to ensure that their change management can meet new technologies to hopefully find additional some of those you know low hanging fruits in the data that might not again like to your point of the cholesterol example be their main objective that's a good question especially because in the fields you're talking about engineering healthcare um, i'd say it's even true in our industry in consulting as well um, you, you get a lot of these industries where it there's a value and a premium placed on specialization mm -hmm. so in healthcare, you know, most practitioners are are not general. Most of them are focused on something. You know, they're focused on heart or, um, you know, pediatrics or mm -hmm. orthopedic, whatever it is. I mean, there's so many different disciplines in, in healthcare and people tend to specialize and they tend to sort of stick to what they know. They're not necessarily um, looking outside their, their field of expertise. And then you get general practitioners that are sometimes too high level and don't have enough depth. And so putting it all together can be can be very difficult. So from a change management perspective, I think what you, you bring up a really good point because what we found with a lot of our clients, when you have really highly educated uh, people within an organization, sometimes they're the hardest ones to change because they're so smart. They know their field so well that it's hard to get them to think outside of their realm of expertise and they're really good at what they do. Um, so when you start disrupting that and sort of challenging that unintentionally, that's where you, you get a lot of a lot of challenges and where change management becomes an issue. Um, you know, sort of like in our industry too, so many consultants come in with trying to fit a square peg into a round hole mm -hmm. because it's what they know. It's it's I know SAP, I'm an expert in S4 HANA, so I'm gonna recommend S4 HANA to everyone I know or anyone I ever come across because it's to me, it's what I know. To me, S4 HANA might be the best system out there in the world. Same goes for people that specialize in Microsoft or CRM system, HDM systems or whatever. So it's hard to find that balance of specialization, but also having a big picture view um, of the world. And I think, you know, I guess I don't have a good answer of how to manage that change other than to say the technology itself isn't going to do it. You're going to have to reorganize and restructure how you do business and you're probably going to have to change your culture too. So if we kind of run with that healthcare example, it might be that if we're a a healthcare organization, we might stop operating in silos and maybe have cross-functional teams that are working together to solve a problem versus just handing things off from specialist to specialist to specialist. Um, that That's just a real simple example of how you might start to change an organizational dynamic and how you might start to change the structure. But having said that, that's very painful. That, that process mm -hmm. I just described is going to take a lot longer than it would be to implement a technology that would allow you to do the things you want to do. So uh, not an easy answer, but uh, you have to start with that end state in mind with sort of the organizational design. Uh, what do we want? What's the outcome we want to get out of our operations? How do we design the organization? What are the roles and responsibilities of the organization going to look like in the future? And then ultimately, what are the processes and systems that will help enable that? And that's where the digital strategy comes in. Absolutely. I think that that's very um, interesting. And if you are an ap academic listening to this this episode, please feel free to um, prove us wrong. And you are amazing at change um, and comment because uh, we'd love to know more about any anyone that works in in that type of field um, as well. So so. Another kind of emerging industry that we've seen um, is farm tech. And I know third third stage in particular does a lot of consulting with our our agro clients. Um, so I thought this would be kind of a fun one. So this is actually um, some new uh, emerging tech in pork production. So if you are producing um, 
pork or actually farming pigs. These are uh, some technologies that have been utilized. So there's one, it's called a, a cough monitor. And basically it uses a microphone technology piece, um, which is placed in the pig's pens and identifies um, and tracks coughing so that they're able to identify any source of respiratory illness before it um, contaminates the overall meat. Another interesting um, evolution, they call it swine tech, which is very funny to me. <laughs> Um, it actually uh, pre prevents um, crushing by monitoring any sort of squeals in pens um, and sends a signal out to get the actual um, pig to stand up so they're not injured in the pen. Um, others include uh, artificial insemination um, as far as when that is and, and geofencing feed traceability. So basically how the hardware that monitors and actually goes out and automates where the uh, actual feed goes uh, in, the, in the farm area that you can change and monitor with a mobile device or on a desktop. So um, definitely some, some evolutions there in farming. And I thought since we, we do a lot of work in the agro area, if you wanted to add anything that you've seen, um, I don't know that we have any pork production per se, but we do have a lot of other <laughs> other farm tech that we work with. So anything else you've seen in this very interesting um, evolution of farming? Yeah, uh, I have actually. And there's some good examples we have from our client base. And as you mentioned, there's uh, that seems to be an area within our client base. I think I can make a pretty strong argument that it's the number one growth industry vertical of our client base. We just have so many clients in the agriculture or food and beverage space right now. It's it's insane. Um, so I don't know if that's a broader trend in the overall industry or if it's just us, but either way, we're, we're seeing a lot more of that. Um, one other thing too, before I answer the question is I can't, as you were describing all this, I couldn't help but think of uh, that book, Animal Farm by George Orwell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like with all the pigs and the technology yeah. and suddenly it's like with that technology, could they eventually overthrow the humans? You know, is that how that's going to work? But that was just the uh, uh, the part of me that's a big George Orwell fan that sort of uh, jumped into that. But but yeah. I will say that that's super fascinating. It's kind of back to the previous part about you know healthcare and really thinking outside of the box of what it is you're doing today. That's an example of how had these farming organizations not known that that technology existed or developed it themselves. I don't know if it's off the shelf or if it's some stuff they developed um, themselves. But either way, if you hadn't had that sort of technology forward thinking view of how things could be, you might not have thought of those innovative solutions. Um, I'd say, you know, one of the big things we're seeing right now with a couple of our clients in agriculture is maybe not so much on the, not so much innovation from a, from an um, innovation, in, innovative business process, like you're defining in terms of proactively determining when a, a pig is sick or has a cough or whatever, um, but more focused on how do we you know, how do we consolidate operations? That's a lot of what we're seeing. So this mm -hmm. is me kind of speaking from uh, maybe, a, maybe a bit of bias just because it's where so many of our clients are right now. But so many of them are trying to consolidate operations and go out and acquire other farming organizations. And so such a big part of what we're seeing is just the trying to create a platform that other farming organizations can bolt onto or latch onto when they get acquired by whatever the parent organization is. So that seems to be a pretty big uh, trend we're seeing. And then, of course, you know, another, I'd say, innovative technology that 
in today's day and age may not seem that innovative, especially given where the supply chain management and lot traceability and using blockchain to track everything from, uh, you know, from the initial raw material of a food product all the way through distribution and ultimately the end customer. Um, you know, that blockchain technology is something that's becoming more and more relevant in the food and beverage space. And in blockchain, I think a lot of people um, associate blockchain with cryptocurrency, which it is very much related, but blockchain actually has a lot of other very practical uses beyond cryptocurrency. There's also the, um, like I mentioned, supply chain management relies on or can rely on, on blockchain to help provide that traceability so that if there were, say, um, some sort of problem with a pork product at the end consumer level, let's just say someone is poisoned or there's some kind of defect with the, the final product, blockchain technologies would allow you to go back to trace where where did the problem come from, which pig or which, you know, mm -hmm. group of pigs did it come from or which farm did it come from, mm -hmm. all that stuff. You know, that's a, another way where you can um, maybe, it, it, granted, that is a more of a reactive use of some of this innovative technology with blockchain, but there's also other proactive uses as well, more similar to what you're saying with the, the pigs and the pens and tracking their coughing and all that stuff. Well, yeah, I think that's so interesting. Um, I feel like maybe because farming is just such a, I mean, it's, you could argue that farming, right, the the trading of, of food and goods um, agriculturally is, is the birth of all business, um, mm -hmm. right? So it's just, it's yeah. interesting to see how that has evolved from even, you know, the industrial revolution here in the United States and and the emergence of big farming as, you know, a, a legitimate industry. And then, you know, now you see it go into connectivity and the Internet of Things and utilize automation and AI and those types of things. It's it truly has kind of survived all of those different changes in, uh, you know, a way that that they have evolved. So, yeah, absolutely. So, so interesting. But for our last hot topic today, um, the dark side of digital transformation and comma fraud. So the dark side of digital transformation is fraud. I um, what we, yeah, what we, we meant by that. Um, so just to give you a few statistics from a 2021 um, study done by the Federal Trade Commission here in the United States, uh, there were over 2.8 million reports of fraud in um, 2021, and that was up 76% from uh, 2020. So year over year, that's a pretty significant increase. And what they saw uh, in that study was because of the, the forced transformations that COVID-19 brought on many organizations, going through a new digital transformation, whether it be moving to an e-commerce solution, offering, you know, a, a different additional services online in a virtual environment, those types of things, it really opened the door because many of these transformations, as you well know, were not done most effectively because it was survival mode, right? You know, it, it wasn't a strategic move. It was a way for the business to survive in this um, forced environment. So what they uh, what they have found that really that new technology equals new data, which is new assets for hackers and makes it more valuable. But the way to do that is really kind of flip the script on the data 
and use it as a way to um, better authenticate your customers, your employees, those types of things with those new technology services. So I wanted to just get your take on, uh, you know, everyone hates the two-factor authentication, you know, myself included. But obviously, if you're you're losing into the billions, which businesses did lose in 2021 uh, due to hacking and cybersecurity issues, uh, what would be your recommendation for ensuring that you are using hacker defense strategies in your digital transformation? I think I'd say the number one thing that comes to mind is, is making sure that you um, look at both internal ex internal and external threats. So I think a lot of times when we think about cybersecurity and hackers, you, you're worried about outside parties hacking into your systems and you do need to worry about that. You need to make sure that you've got the two factor authentication and, uh, that your systems are secure, that you have um, sort of certified uh, cybersecurity protocols that are being used within your systems. Um, also, looking you know on the on the uh, external side of things, which is sort of external or which is sort of internal too, I suppose. But you know, a lot of times companies lock down their core systems, but they don't lock down the systems that are tied to those core systems. Mm -hmm. So you can have all the security protocols in place you want for your core, say ERP or financial system. But if you have another third party system that's accessing that data and there's a loophole in that system, you're, you're basically exposing your, your core operations to that. And that's a big part of what happened with uh, solar winds. If you remember the solar winds mm -hmm. breach, from, I think it was in either 2020 or 2021. Mm -hmm. um, we had that big breach and that was a, that was a pretty big deal. And the, the way they perpetuated and created that problem was through a loophole through a third party system. Um, so that's sort of that internal uh, or that external uh, outside hacker attempts side of cybersecurity. But you also have to worry about your internal people too, even if it's, uh, you know, either criminal type of activity and or more commonly just accidental uh, misuse of, of or misappropriation of data and information. So making sure that your employees and that your security profiles are set up the way they should be. Um, that is an area that oftentimes gets overlooked. You know, people assume that their own people aren't going to create any sort of problems, but a lot of times that does happen and it's unintentional, of course, in, in many cases. Sometimes it's actually, it is intentional. I mean, we've had some expert witness cases where there's intentional use of loopholes and security settings and things of that nature to, to steal money from the companies. But uh, for the most part, it's not. But either way, you have to address um, address those internal and external factors for sure. Yeah, it, re it reminds me of a news story I read maybe yesterday about an employee that got paid 300 times his salary on accident. Um, then he alerted his management and then disappeared. <laughs> wow. With with the 300 times yeah. salary? Wow. Yeah. So. Uh, we'll have to stay. We have to give us an update on that as we uh, track down the uh, mysterious employee here. I know. I will. I will. I'll do, we'll do that um, in our hot topics next week. A quick update to that story, but it just you know triggered that, and then of of course the office space mentality, um, sure. which we have some videos on how office space taught us about cybersecurity on our YouTube channel that were really fun to do. Um, so. Uh, go ahead and, and check out those um, over there if you want to hear more about those pop culture references. But in all seriousness, it, it truly does need to be a main part of digital transformation strategies at this point is understanding any sort of openings to cybersecurity threats 
uh, within your overall project is so important. And I know we've had um, Chad Baker, who's a cybersecurity expert that we we work with a lot um, uh, on the show before. So you can head back over and listen to his episodes as well and does a really good job of going through, um, he actually covers the 10 most annoying things of cybersecurity and two-factor uh, two um, authentication is is on there. <laughs> so, right. so if you, know, you want to know how to work through that um, in your business from a change management lens, definitely check that out. But um, it it's a good a good segue into your chat with Redwan um, and almost a series at this point of, you know, what is a CIO? And what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. We we had him on a few weeks ago and we talked about more focused on the evolving role of the CIO. So be sure to go back. I think it's four or five episodes, perhaps. Maybe it's around episode number 70, 71, somewhere in there um, was when Ridwan was last on the show. And we talked about the role of CIOs and, the, and how it's changing. And we do touch, we are going to touch on that again here today, but Really, we want to flip it a little bit and talk about, well, in the context of this evolving role of CIOs, how is it that we they can avoid failure? How can we avoid some of the challenges and common pitfalls that CIOs, IT directors, IT managers, and other IT leaders face? And how can we ensure that they, they uh, navigate those well to where they're ultimately successful rather than just trying to avoid failure? So that's what we're going to talk to Ridwan about. But first, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 76. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, as well as all of the audio podcast platforms, including uh, Google, Amazon, um, Spotify, etc. cetera. Um, our next guest is a returning guest who's been on a couple times in the past. It's Ridwan, Bar Ridwan Bardian, from, um, the, our director from our third stage consulting Africa office. Um, I think he's going to be more well-spoken than me today. I seem to be having a little trouble here. I'm, I'm really struggling to get through this introduction here. But uh, this is going to be Ridwan from our Third Stage Consulting Africa office. He is part of the team that manages all of our clients in Africa, as well as Europe and the Middle East. Um, and what we wanted to talk about with him today was the evolving role of the CIO, but not just the evolving role, more importantly, how to avoid failure and how to be successful as a CIO or any sort of IT leader. So with all that being said, Ridwan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. And uh, yeah, great to be back again. It feels like yeah, it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah, well it, well, yeah, it was just a few short weeks ago that you, you were on the show. And so thanks for, for being back. In fact, we had such a good conversation and there's so much we didn't cover in that conversation. We thought, let's continue it and maybe put a little bit different spin on it here um, today. Yeah. 
Um, before we jump into the questions, though, maybe just tell us a little bit about your background, uh, both you know what you do now at Third Stage, but also what you did prior to joining Third Stage. Sure. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, um, and thanks for having me once again. Um, I actually quite enjoyed the last interaction, and uh, I got some good feedback. So <laughs> let's hope we can we can have the same kind of conversation today. Um, yeah. So um, at Third Stage, I'm based in Johannesburg. As those of you in South Africa, that's why it's, it's very very cold here. It does get cold in Africa. <laughs> it just doesn't snow, um, only in certain places. Um, so as a director at Third Stage, uh, I work with companies on their digital transformation projects. So anything from strategy all the way to software selection and business process re-engineering as well as, which is very, very important and always over, overlooked is, uh, is, is change management. So prior to joining um, Third Stage, I was an executive partner at Gartner for about five years. And in there, at, at any point in time, you have a portfolio of about 30 CIOs, uh, C-level executives or CDOs. And part of that role was also a bit of coaching uh, coaching and mentoring. But also prior to that, I also held about I think, yeah, two, two roles as a chief information officer. So um, I bring the theory and uh, I also bring the practical um, uh, aspects of it. Yeah, you've been you've been sort of a, a CIO whisperer uh, over the years in terms of coaching and guiding and helping CIOs through uh, pretty right. complex transformations, which is really what we want to dive into here today. Um, well, sure. good. Well, that's great to hear. And, and just to um, spotlight our audience here before I jump into the questions. Um, thank you, Diane on LinkedIn, joining from South Africa as well. Um, uh, Gaspar LaRocca on LinkedIn, joining from Baltimore. Uh, we have uh, someone joining Ursula joining from from London, um, Audra from from Atlanta, uh, Don from Tampa. Thanks for being here. Um, Sam Graham from Spain. Thank you for being here again today, Sam. And um, just a general comment before we get started. Um, and this is actually a, an interesting thing to keep in the back of our minds as we're talking here today, Ridwan. And this is a, I like the topic for today. I've been looking into becoming something like a CIO, CTO, or something similar. So learning a lot from these discussions, and that's really what we hope we'll we'll uh, discuss with you here today is just what does it take to be successful? What are some of the pitfalls and challenges and lessons learned, and and how can we really set you all up for success? Whether you're a CIO now or whether you're aspiring to be one, if you're a consultant and you work with CIOs, um, or if you're just you know just generally trying to understand how CIOs fit into the greater scheme of things, that's really what we want to dive into here today. Um, I guess just to get started, though, um, just to set the context for the or the backdrop for the discussion, maybe just tell us a little bit about what what are the general responsibilities of a CIO? And when I say CIO, by the way, I'm going to kind of use that interchangeably to include chief digital officer, IT manager, IT director, or just sort of the, the IT leader within an organization. So what, yeah. what exactly does that CIO role do typically in an organization? So if you look at it traditionally, right, I think it started in the 80s when they first came up with the role um, and, it, and, it, and it came out of what uh, fin the financial services part of the organization. So it's literally looking after information, things like that. Um, and interestingly enough, you, you still find that CIOs are reporting to CFOs. So I, I'm a little wary of putting everybody in the same box so but i get what you're saying like what what do they actually look after so uh, the, sh the 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 short answer would be um it's the it's the information technology portion of the business right so so it's the traditional stuff it's the the, the infrastructure the networks um the vendor management the erp system um 
but we have seen that that is no longer, if I can use the word, good enough for, for organizations because you, you have to be competitive. And in today's world, to be competitive, we find that is, that's, where, that's where the CDO role has come about is that it's now chasing revenue, looking at different business models, still using technology, but your focus is not so much about uptime and things like that. So, but I, I find that, that, that generally, um, and, and at Gartner, I, I work globally, so it is a global perspective that I'm giving. I, I still find that a lot of CIOs are still stuck in the back office and seen in that role. I find that a lot of that's still happening. Um, just as a matter of interest, um, with shadow IT, uh, for those who don't know, is when a business goes off and does its own thing. And I remember um, as a CIO allowing that to happen. And when I was at Gartner, we also had research that said allow that to happen because that's the other thing that's starting to impact on, on CIOs. That role is now coming more and more in, into the spotlight. So yes, even though I say that's what your portfolio is, be aware that, that in, it's already started, that that should no longer be your portfolio, depending where you are, in which organization you're in, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. It seems like that there's really, in my mind, there's two major buckets of functions or responsibility that a CIO has. You have the stuff you're talking about, which is sort of the back office um, systems focus, keep the lights on, keep things running, maintain the systems, fix them when they break, sort of that maintenance focus support and maintenance focus side of the, the equation. But then the other side of the equation is the more strategic or proactive side of things, which is how do you continuously improve your business and ensure that you're leveraging new technologies where appropriate and getting ahead of just fixing and breaking or fixing stuff that's Correct. broken, but really more strategically deploying new technologies throughout an organization. So it seems like there's two sort of very different areas of focus that a CIO typically is responsible for. So, so what do you think the most important skills are given this backdrop? And we'll talk more about how the role's changing and how the skill sets required are, are changing, but what, what are the major yeah. skills that a, that a CIO typically needs to be successful in that role? So if I look at the, the, the CIO and the CDO role, you'll find that they are a lot more politically savvy. So they, mm -hmm. they and, and, and it's interesting if you think about it. I, I remember when I had my first, went for my first CIO interview, MBA wasn't a thing that was needed. But today right. that's a requirement, right? And did nobody sit up and take notice and say, but why are they asking these technical people to have MBA? So the shift already happened. That happened years ago. So I find that those who are, 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 are like get better at this or surviving longer and sort of had long. Because as we see ten, with CIOs, 10 years are, are very, very short. There used to be a time where the acronym stood for careers over. But So what we find is that those who are politically more astute or a lot more about the business, so, for example, somebody, I see one of the questions, what's the difference between, it's a generic title, what's the difference between a healthcare CIO and a higher education CIO? If you put them somewhere and you were interviewing them, they must sound like they a business person from healthcare and talk about healthcare. If they in um, higher education or logistics, they must talk about the business and what they are doing in, in the business. If your CIO is still tinkering in the background and, you know, looking at uh, setting up data centers and, you know, focusing on the technology bits and things. They, they're not going to be around for long. P public sector, I know it's an unfair statement, but yeah, public sector, yes, you can still get away with that. They typically still tend to, to CFOs. 
but we see that more and more that boards have taken an interest in this role. So you'll find now that these these guys are. Uh, it's interesting. A, a and and I saw it in America first. A that they are now go more to they go to board meetings. Um, they accompany the CEO and they talk about what they are doing because they're very very interested in that. And in America, what I saw is that there was this. They started to sit on boards. It started with the startups, the you know the Mark Zuckerbergs and people like that sitting on boards. That's an interesting thing, and not on startups, on on large multinational companies. So we see that that's something that's happening with with CIOs now. So in a nutshell, CIOs are more like business people. That's what they are. They're becoming more and more about business. If you still, if you're aspiring to become a CIO, which I'm seeing, get your MBA, start learning more about the business. Um, because if you're going to go down the technical route, then you'll end up being like a data scientist or a specialist. Nothing wrong with that. Some people love that. But if your aspiration is to become a CIO, CDO, you need to be more focused on the on the on the business business side of things. Yeah, and I'd say that CIOs more than most roles in organizations really require a very broad skill set because you need. First of all, you, you need to understand technology and that alone, if, if even if all your focus is, is just understanding new and emerging technologies, that's just changing so fast and keeping up with all the changes that alone is, is very difficult. But then you add in the other skill sets that are so important, but yet oftentimes underrated with CIOs, things like, you know, the operational business process, understanding the, the people and the change management and the, the leadership component of, of transformation those are all very different skill sets and it's hard to, it's hard to get all those skills, quite frankly. So I think that's one of the big challenges. Would you, would you agree is just sort of you know, having that, having depth, but also having that breadth of, and broad skill set that's required to be an effective leader in that role. Correct. So, um, and also that's so, yeah. So traditionally you would come through as either in programming or something, and then you ended up being a CEO. That's no longer the case now, unless you're a CTO, that's a whole different, it's different from a C from a CEO. It's more, more technology focused. Um, but definitely a broader, uh, um, a skill set and and interestingly things like um the political savviness which which means that you have you have empathy you have the ability to read a room you were mm -hmm. um and also things like uh being a good communicator so and and i've seen an instance where there was a lawyer who became a cio so you don't have to come from the traditional um it background anymore and because it, it really if you th if you sit and you think about it and i remember doing this one day when i was a cio i said i came to the realization that i can be out outsourced from me to this entire department can be outsourced everything we're doing as we are doing it right now can be outsourced can be done better cheaper faster so i said how do we stay in the game let's go learn the business Let's make sure that they they won't get rid of us because we are so intertwined with the, what what they were doing, and eventually we, we we started to use their language. Yeah, there were still the guys who did the back office uh, type stuff. You, you'd still have that program and that to do that, and that's fine. You you need them, but we made made sure um, that we were starting to understand the business more, and then proposing uh, solutions to them, you know, and then saying, "Here's the technology." That will that will help you achieve your, your what right. you need, because think about it. They, they, they and it's happened. I mean, I've seen I've actually just seen it with one of the clients recently. They've actually gone out and engaged with a software vendor directly, 
and and the CRO is in the background. Uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Mm-hmm. Here's a question that actually has actually been um, asked twice now. Whoops, I try and show it if I can avoid my own user error here. Um, whoops, let me come back to it. Um, that's not the one I wanted to show you. Sorry. Uh, there it is. Okay. So this is uh, Diane on LinkedIn was the first one to ask this, but someone else has since asked the same question or asked again for us to cover this. But how would you define the difference between a CIO, which is Chief Chief Information Officer, and CDO, which is typically referred to as Chief yeah. uh, Digital Officer? How would you view that difference or how would you describe that difference? It's interesting, Eric, because it keeps coming up, this one. This one. <laughs> it does. It does, yeah. So, um, so I'm going to answer it in a way that it's not unfair to all CIOs. So if you're in an organization, we have a CIO and a CDO, then you tend to find that the CIO focuses on operations um, and back office, more like a chief operations officer of IT, which is also a little bit of an unfair statement because there, there, there is um, room for innovation and, and you know, uh, looking at how you increase your revenue and things like that. But it's all based around the existing business model and existing um, revenue streams and driving down cost in that business. So. If that's what your business traditionally does, that's what the CIO will focus on to make sure that that, that works. If you have a CIO in that same building with that, or you can't say the hybrid working space that we're in. If there's a CDO as well, then you'll find the CDO is chasing revenue. They're looking at, at, at other, at, at, at other th- um, you know, they're looking at AI, robotics, they're looking at the customer experience, they're looking at new business models. So they focus more on the revenue aspects and the boards pay particular attention to these guys. Now, typically when the CDO is brought in, I'm not saying it's always the case, we find it's because the CIO hasn't stepped up. We, we find that. But it's also mm-hmm. unfair because in sometimes the CDO is just better at it. They come with a more of a revenue mindset. And so that's why they, they bring it in. So, uh, like I said, I didn't want to be unfair to some CIOs because I've seen CIOs in some of these large organizations and smaller ones where there is no CDO, but they've stepped up. So they've maintained the, the, the title CIO, but they are chasing new revenue streams. They are looking at they're outsourcing more of the back office type stuff. So um, it's it's not so much about the title; it's about what you are doing. Mm-hmm. So you should be fo- you should be focused. If you're a CIO in a large multinational, then if you are not fa- if you are not chasing new revenue, new ways of of working, um, you know, driving down cost, um, sitting at the the boardroom and the exco and talking about the business, you're not going to be there for very long. That's right. We've seen we've seen that. Yeah. To to come yeah. to the title, what will get you fired? That will get you fired. Right. Yeah. Well, and in, in one of the other um, roles or titles that it may seem like we're slicing hairs a little bit, but it's it's important to think this through in terms of the differences between CIO, chief digital officer. But also there's you mentioned CTO, which is generally chief, uh, chief technology officer. Technology but there's also officer, another yeah. CTO role, which is chief transformation officer, which you're seeing more. We're seeing that more and more. It's not extremely common, but we do have, you know, a subset of our clients where they have a, a designated or a, a dedicated chief technology officer, or a, I'm sorry, chief transformation, transformation officer, officer role. Well, how, how is that different? Or is that something you've seen as well? 
it is not common in 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 Africa. We've not seen that. But I would assume it sounds almost like a CDO type role. That's yeah. what it sounds like. Yeah. I'm assuming yeah. it's nothing to do with organizational change management. I would assume it's more like a CDO role. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's it's I think it's actually in my opinion it's it's sort of adding another layer of responsibility to what in theory should really be part of the CIO's role which is leading change. So if you have chief transformation officer, oftentimes that's the person that's sort of like the program manager. They're the, they're the leader of the transformation initiative. So if you have a large yeah. multi-year transformation initiative, some organizations will have a chief transformation officer, maybe not as common in, in Africa where you're at, but we've seen it certainly mm -hmm. in the, the Americas and Europe. You know, we've seen some clients that have that's not, okay. like I said, it's not that common, but it is something we're seeing more of now than we did, you know, five or 10 years ago. Interesting. We've not seen that year yet. Well, I haven't. Yeah. I've seen that. We're here with Ridwan from Third Stage Consulting Africa talking about how to avoid failure and how to be successful as an IT leader. We're going to continue the conversation when we return with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 76. We're here with Ridwan from Third Stage Consulting Africa talking about CIOs and IT leaders and how they can avoid failure and ultimately become successful. Well, good. Um, I was going to actually bring up another uh, question from the audience here, another another point here, um, or it's actually just more of a, a comment. And this is from Gassan on LinkedIn. He says, shadowing IT, if allowed, interferes with IT governance, encourages best of breed. And best of breed encourages multiple versions of the truth, which leads us back to looking at strategies um, to address disparate systems. So, you know, this is a really interesting point. I think yeah, I kind of wanted to turn it into a question, which is if you allow that shadow IT that you mentioned before that you're talking about, or maybe put it even more broadly, you allow different pockets of the organization to sort of do their own thing, define their own path, chart their own strategy for their digital technologies, you're going to end mm -hmm. up likely with a best of breed scenario. And you're trying to, you're stuck trying to patch that all together. How do you, mm -hmm. you know, what are, what are some of the, tactics or strategies you've seen organizations use to overcome that dynamic or mitigate that risk? So look, you, you could still, the, you're still responsible if you're the CIO. Um, and I'll give you an interesting take on why I did it when I talk about political savviness. So, um, and, and I, I just want to say when I was at Gartner, I, we used to run workshops. We have CIOs and we have to talk about these different topics. This was one of the most hotly contested and guys would get angry you'd get some say no no let it go and others are like no if you have your strong governance you can still allow that to happen because at some point it has to come back into you so you still maintain you still look at what they're trying to do if they are 
going off and trying to implement an ERP system, you're going to like, no. Mm. So you, you, you need, there's a fine balance, right? So I'll give you an example. So, so, so that's where you bring the governance in. What is it that they are doing? If they are exploring front end stuff, a new website, uh, you allow that. You pick your battles. You, you, you can't be a doctor no and try and do everything. The business will bypass you, the, you because you'll find that, especially today, the reason here's, the, here's the, 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 the challenging bit, right? The resources they can find to do stuff for them, you can't get anymore or retain. You, you can't get that. You'll get that person in and one to them, they're out the door. They can go and buy that and outsource it. And so they'll do it. So you just work with your partner with them. So I came across this in my career, and this is where political savviness came in. It was the chief operation, or, or operations officer. And I had a good relationship with him and he used to support each other at Exco and things like that. And then he went off and he wanted to do his own data analytics thing. I didn't have the team for it. And then I had a, my team was fighting me. Why are you allowing this to happen? And I did it for political reasons. So I stayed close to it, but I let him do his thing. And by me letting, and we worked together, eventually it came back, back to me. Imagine right. if I said to him, no, you will not do that. And you, and you know, then, so you've got to be, that's what I'm talking about. That political savviness, astuteness. It's not binary anymore. You're not in that technology world where it's binary. So when I say you have to have this um, political astuteness to be able to navigate in that, those are CROs that's going to survive because he was politically so strong. He could, he could, he could have gotten rid of me. Whether we want to talk about these things or not, it happens especially at exco level there's always, there's always somebody trying to take you out i always right. used to say when i coached are you sure you want to be a c-level executive because i remember going to the boardroom thinking okay eric's got a gun this one's got a tank i better right. bring an army yeah no it's it, it gets brutal as you go up the top so you've got to be politically savvy yeah you can't yeah. you can't just oh that's it governance and and i'm going to stop you there you're not going to be around for long yeah and, and speaking of um Politically savvy. Uh, this is a question from. This is a great question from Kyler, uh, our podcast co-host here, who's who's listening in the background. Uh, her question is: How important is this business focus in IT in general? Even if the CIO is business savvy, but the greater department is not, does that cause mis misalignment? So, in other words, if I'm a CIO, I'm focused on this political savviness, on the business, on the people side of change, all this other non-technology stuff, but I'm leading a team a department that's very technologically focused and they're not necessarily focused on those broader areas that we're talking about Correct. how do you how do you maintain that alignment does it create misalignment first and foremost if so how do we how do we address that misalignment it definitely could create greater alignment. and i'll talk from personal experience i joined an organization where the guys have been there for 20 odd years you know some of them were old older than me and they had this mindset of this is this is um, this is the way IT operates. So I had a simple thing that I would do when I joined an organization as a CEO. I would call everybody in the room at some point because I used to do this team building things, and I would say, "Who is the customer?" And and you'd be you'd be surprised what people say. It will be, "Oh, it's finance, it's sales, it's logistics." So then at some point, somebody, it's typically the younger people, would say. It's the people, it's, it's, the, it's the, the customers of the company. So then I would have to do that mind shift. Do they, do they shift and, and make that mind shift? No. So what I work on is percentages. If I can get about 60 to 80% of that floor focused on the business, 
the rest of them will either just have to shut up and go along with it or but it's not possible to change all of them their mindset is so ingrained but you just got to keep on at it now what helps you make that change is when the so typically if you think about it if you go into an organization where it is not performing they're not delivering they're not helping they're not focused on the true cost then they seem to be back office right so if you come in and you're making this change and there's people in your team now you know, it's not not like they're cheering when they see us coming along, but they, they're more receptive to us and they see the change and people want to come and work in IT. That's what helps you. Because it's not about what I'm saying. Because if the if if they if even if they're still calling them the customer, the incredible who's now happy and saying this is great, we like this, that kind of keeps you at bay. You're not gonna change everybody's mindset. But that's how you help make the change. It's not just you in the department, because ultimately, if you're offering a great service and and the revenue is growing, and you know board members are singing your praises and your team's praises and thing, that helps make the change. But yeah. are you going to get hundred percent on board? No, it's not possible. I find right. Yeah, just get enough. Well, it's almost like even if you have um, these these resources that are very heavily focused on technology, and let's just say. You know, you, you mentioned that 60 to 80% of them are going to come along and, and sort of transition to this more broader business focused mindset. But let's just say they don't. And you've got that subset of people that are extremely technical. They just like to build stuff. They like to they like to be techies, for lack of a better word. They don't necessarily want to deal with the people or the process or the strategy side of things. Your, your job as a CIO in that situation, in my opinion, is oftentimes to be sort of a business analyst or a business architect, someone that can take the business needs and objectives and translate that into something that's more technical, but aligns with what the overall, what the overarching goals and strategies of the organization are. Correct. So if you can do right. that well, then it's probably okay if you have a subset of people that are just technically focused, but you, it just puts more pressure on you as a leader to be able to do that translation and that uh, interpretation of what the business needs are into the technical Correct. needs. Because because you still you, you you still need them. It's not that you you don't need them, right? But they tend to be. But but definitely my leadership, uh, my business analyst. I would walk my floor sometimes, and I would say, "Why are these business analysts sitting on my floor? They shouldn't be here. They should be out there, right. unless you're typing up some requirements or something." So it's 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 so it's that subset, you know, your leadership team, and that when they're out there, they must be focused on the business. If there's someone at the back who likes there to, to to do reports and things like that, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing, but they can't be front facing. It's not right. going to work. It's, it's not going to work. Yeah. Right. I don't. Did you ever see the movie um, Office Space uh, back in the '90s? Was that was that movie popular in in Africa? Ah, uh, what was it about? Can you remind? It's me? it's the one where they it's a it's a comedy and it's the one where they. Um, they uh, they work for a tech company in the late 90s um, and they, long story short, they're trying to retire early. So they come up with a scheme to take, uh, to skim transactions in the financial system to take money and basically get rich that way. And they wanted to use that to retire and then they get caught. So it's just a okay. whole story. But it's it's more than that. It's a story about the internal office politics and things of that nature. And there's a character in it. And uh, Jennifer Aniston from the show Friends, she's she's in the movie. She's probably the best known actress in the show or in the movie. But in mm -hmm. the movie, there's a character. I forgot his name, but he's like the translator from what the customer wants to what the engineering group has to do. And these mm -hmm. these uh, efficiency consultants come in and start questioning everyone's jobs. Like, why are you doing what you do? And, you know, how many people could we cut to save money in this organization? 
and they start asking this guy questions about, well, what is it you really do? Is, is it, are you just translating the customer needs into the engineering needs? And why doesn't the customer just go directly to the engineer? And he sort of has mm -hmm. a meltdown in the movie. And it's meant to be funny, but it's kind of true. He has a meltdown mm -hmm. because he says, you know, I'm good with people and I, I understand people and that's my role and that's my value. <laughs> but it's a really funny scene in the movie, but funny. it kind of reminds me what, what we're talking about here reminds me of that because that is sort of what the CIO has to do is you have to take all these crazy ideas that the business has and you then have to translate it into something that the IT group can do. And if you don't have that effective CIO role there, you, you sort of, yeah, you cut out the middleman, but you need that middleman yeah. and middle woman there to be able to, to translate those needs Correct. into the organization. So here's what's, what's interesting in, in, in how you put that. You said it's to, as the CIO, you have to translate what the business wants and then make it happen. Here's what's, what's interesting to bring us back to the, to the topic of what's going to get you fired. It's flipped now. You have to tell the business. You, right. you have to, and you have to make you sure your army is going to follow you to go and do what you need to do. So it is a bit of a balancing. It's, it's a little bit of Great both. Point. Yeah, there's always, they, they come and they'll tell you this is our strategy, things like that. Um, but you'll find that a lot more now CIOs will be leading. So yeah. if, if we look at like one of our banks who won the most innovative award a few years back was with a CIO, a, a CEO realized the importance of IT. So you brought them to the foreground. I always used to say that if if you go to these strategy sessions and you on day two, the last person to present is the CIO, <laughs> you're in trouble. Right. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, this is our strategy. You just need to enable it. It's flipped now because you need to tell them, but we can use AI now. We should be using chatbots now on the front. We should be, yeah. So that that's that's the change that I'm seeing. Yeah. We're started already. That's a great point. It's sort of a, you're right. It's a back and forth. It's a balancing act. You, you have business needs that are known by the organization that you have to translate into technical needs, but then there's emerging technologies, newer technologies that the business may not even know about or realize could help Correct. improve their business. So you have to, you have to know the business well enough and follow the business well enough to also be able to lead the business to say, you know, you could use robotic process automation or human capital management software, whatever, whatever the needs are. There's all right. these different technologies out there you could be deploying. So that's more of the technical piece, you know, being able to recognize where the technology could best fit within the business. And within fit the in that, yeah. So it's also a difficult role. I'm just thinking now because a lot of it is about shifting mindsets. So I, I coined this, I mean, I didn't coin the term, uh, Gartner coined the term and I used it. I uh, said I was a digital evangelist. So, um, so you, you almost have to go out and, and hammer at the board level at the, you know, even within your own team to make the shift to digital digital right. doesn't just happen because you've got a great digital strategy it happens because people want to make that change it's a huge part of that that change that you have to do so i think the role is becoming even more difficult now actually, yeah if you i agree there's, there's mm. just a lot of a lot of stuff you need to know and be good at to to be effective in that in mm. that role um Here's another question, and maybe it's or a comment that I'll I'll turn into a question here. This is from Cosmos on uh, LinkedIn, and Cosmos says, "I got confused when the company I used to work for hired a CIO, and they have a VP of IT report to him. He wondered what each would be doing. Um, so I guess maybe I'll just broaden that question a bit and say, you know, you've got VP of IT, of IT manager, IT director, CIO, chief digital officer, chief technology officer, chief transformation officer. You have all these different." technical roles i mean how do you do you have any advice on how to make sense of it all i mean every organization is different which you which you already mentioned and every organization might define these roles differently but 
you know, how do you, how do you mm. navigate this, the, the complexities of just the organization, the IT organization in general? So it's interesting. I was talking to somebody that I hadn't worked with in years and he said, he phoned me about something and he was, he was talking, he said, he watched the li our last live stream and he said, I liked what you said. And there was, he said, you said, um, I think I said one of my pet peeves is the title. So I think it's important to not let the title hold you back. And I think it's got to the point now where people are even making fun of it, right? They've come up with chief something, this, achieve, yeah. So I think it's important to not let the title hold you back. You've got to understand, okay, this is why I'm here and this is my role. But I think we mustn't get so caught up in it. And I'll tell you why, because we're in a state of flux. Because years ago, the CDO role came out and I said, no, it's not going to work. And I was even arguing with Gartner at the time. I wasn't working with them. And I said, it's because the CIO owns um, the army. He owns the IT department. So you bring this poor CDO and make all these changes and the guy can just go like, no, it's not going to happen. But that's changed, right? Because now the CDO can say, okay, it's fine. I don't need you. He can go to the market. You can get, you can, whatever you, you can, he's got access to global resources. So it's flipped. So I think we must be careful that we don't get too caught up. So, so if you think about it, what stayed consistent at COO, which is, I'll come to that one, actually, if, if we've got time to come, it's interesting. The COO role, CFO, CEO role has kind of remained, if you think about it, almost the same, you could say. That's more or less where they are. I know I'm doing them a disservice and hopefully there's nobody who's going to say, what the hell? <laughs> right. of, of course we've changed. And, yeah. and I do, and I do, um, I'm actually also a trained cost and management accountant, so I don't mean anything disrespectful by that. But they kind of, you kind of know what they are, right? But the CIO role is an evolving role, is a changing role. I mean, when last did we hear that the CEO is an evolving role? Or a CFO is in a role. But now, so so obviously we're coming up with this, like, what are we now? CTO, CRO, CDO. But I, I think the point I'm trying to make is whatever your title is, if it's a senior executive role and it's in a large organization, typically you need to focus on the business and use IT to drive revenue, drive down cost, grow the business and be a senior executive. That's, that's what you need to get. You know, to, 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 to understand what I have seen was interesting. I've seen this in, in Africa where a CIO reports to a CTO. Right. And the reason that happened was because they couldn't get rid of the CIO, but they needed to bring somebody into so this. Okay, we'll call you CTO and then make the CIO report to you. So I think we must be careful not to get too caught up in it. Um, I think we're kind of lucky in IT that we flew it. We've changed over the years. So the CIO title will, I think I said it on the long, will be called something else. It's will be moved on. It will, it's going to change anyway. Yeah, it's a it's a misleading title, in my opinion, to call it chief information mm. officer. I don't think that's it doesn't, it doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, in the 80s, it, it did, because that's what you're yeah. focused on is information and how do we digitize you know, just basic computerization of our, of our data and our, our systems. But now it's, it's, it's evolved quite a bit. Um, mm. And also, you know, I, it's, it's an interesting point though, because I, I, now that we're talking about it, I guess I've never, I haven't thought that much about this until this conversation, but it does seem like organizationally, a lot of organizations make the mistake of wiring the organizational structure around the weaknesses of the leader they have in place now. So, so in other words, a lot of times we work with clients where they have an IT director, or maybe they call them CIO, that have been in that role for, say, 20 years. And 
they are tasked with leading some sort of transformation. We need to overhaul our systems or put in new technologies or just get caught up to the 21st century. And that person doesn't have the skill set or the competency. So they end up creating another role like a chief you know, transformation officer or a, a chief digital officer, whatever it is. And it's almost like it's, it's, there's a fine line between augmenting the skill sets you don't have versus a key leadership role like that, where the person in the leadership role doesn't have the right skill set. So you end up creating another leadership role, which will inevitably over time get sucked into the status quo because that person that had been there for 20 years and the CIO role is probably going to revert back to what they know best and back to their comfort zone. So you have to sort of rethink, do you have the right person in that role to begin with? Um, Mm -hmm. Do you maybe need to put in someone over that person that used to be an effective CIO, but now that the role has evolved, that person hasn't been able to keep up. Maybe you need someone over them that, that sort of, uh, provides that and that's that's obviously a very messy correct organizational dynamic but it seems like more organizations need to be a little more strategic rather than just throwing a band-aid on the problem hmm. correct um so along those lines then you know speaking of cios and uh you know developing the skill set you need to be more effective in the 2020s versus what it took in the 1980s or 1990s when the role was first emerging this is from diane on hmm. linkedin uh, she asked any specific education paths that you'd recommend for the cio role there's quite a few CIO specific courses. Would those be more apl- would those be more applicable than an MBA? So maybe just in general, what what sort of training and uh, upskilling would you recommend that CIOs or CIO aspiring CIOs uh, might go through? So I would say yes, uh, MBA is, is is not a bad thing to have, and we find that more and more. Um, you know, when they advertise for these positions, they will say MBA, right or Bachelor of Commerce in Science or Informatics or, or that. Um, I think if you could, like the more business courses you could do, makes sense. And and especially, let's say if you're in an organization where you say, I'm, I'm in financial services, then it makes sense to do financial services courses, right? To, so that you can start to, to, to um, you know, play a bigger role. And don't overlook things like uh, some of us are just born naturally uh, that they can just do this, uh, which is public speaking, uh, communication, because it's going to push you more and more into the limelight in that role. So it's important to do the soft skills. I would say um, there are a lot of CIO um, courses out there. I would say be wary, um, rather go with the more established ones. I like the ones, for example, so I've had a few um of uh, people who worked for me over the years who went on these courses. And they, for example, they flew to America to Silicon Valley and then got worked with some of the startups there. I thought that's, that's great, right? But if you're going to do an online CRO course, it's not really going to teach you how to be a CRO. There is no one answer to this. I mean, if you just heard, I said I'm a qualified cost and management accountant, but I'm also in IT. But it helped me with budgeting and things like that. So... I think MBA definitely tick that one. If you want to do a CRO course, make sure it's something reputable. Ask around, see what, and go and look at what they're actually going to do, right? Well, what are they actually going to going to offer you on this that an MBA might offer you? Because everybody climbs on the bandwagon and they say, oh, CRO, and then uh, um, uh, education, and then just teach you the bland sort of sort of stuff. But I think the other important thing is don't, um, you know, look at the soft skill stuff. Do those or try and get an executive coach, for example, that will help you. But right. but you need to be almost like an all-rounder. That's my opinion. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there's a, you know, a shameless plug for some of third stages content, uh, third stage consulting, the company that you and I both work for has quite a bit of content out there that's meant to be educational, informative and helping CIOs and leaders, um, you know, just understand some of the technologies and some of the digital strategies that are most effective in, in today's world. So if you go to the third stage, either third stage consulting and or my own personal YouTube channels and LinkedIn pages, both of those are, are good avenues that, you know, we post different content on those two channels. Um, so I'd, I'd recommend checking out both my personal uh, LinkedIn and YouTube, as well as uh, the third stage consulting LinkedIn and YouTube channels too, because there's, we're always putting stuff out there every, every day we put new, new content out or most, most days of the week, there's new content being put out there. We're here with Ridwan from third stage consulting Africa, talking about how to avoid failure and how to be successful as an IT leader. We're going to continue the conversation when we return with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 76. We're here with Ridwan from Third Stage Consulting Africa talking about CIOs and IT leaders and how they can avoid failure and ultimately become successful. I was going to ask you, oh, I wanted to bring up a, another comment from Kyler because she's trying to stir <laughs> the pot here. You know, she's behind the scenes. We can't see her, but here she is. She's, she's kind of throwing uh, grenades at us here uh, as, as we're in the live stream, which I like. Um, she's saying... So which, what Kyler is saying is maybe this is an unpopular opinion, but when it comes to flexibility and overall ability to change, I'd say CIOs are one of the leadership positions that are least likely to have any appetite for change. And boom, she just threw it out there just like that. So what are your, uh, what are your thoughts? Do you agree? Do you disagree? And why? I say it's a uh, dip because like I always say, we can't brand everybody the same, right? So you can put C in, and, and I come from, I worked with like 30 CIOs at one at any point in time or run workshops with 20 odd 30 CIOs in the room. So yes, you might have the title, but don't, and don't forget you're also dealing with the human being. So some of us are more prone to change. So I, I don't think it's got anything to do with the title that the fact that you're a CIO and that you, and that you're not willing to change. It depends on the individual. It depends where you are in your, I mean, if you've been a CIO at the same company for 20 odd years, which we have seen, I've seen CIOs retire from the same way, they're, le they're less likely to change. But if I show you a 30 something chief digital officer, <laughs> very likely to change. So, so boom back at you, kind of. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Throw us another one. <laughs> right. Well, here's another uh, here's another bombshell uh, while we're on the thread here, and this is from from Sam on LinkedIn. I really like this question as well, and it's 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 sort of taking a dig at uh, executive teams throughout the world, 
Uh, so I'd be curious to get the audience's perspective on this too, but I'll ask you first, Ridwan. Mm. Is there a problem when CIXOs who can build a spreadsheet think they know more than the CIO, CDO, or CTO? Which I think is a super funny question, but yet very relevant, very true. Um, you get you it's know, a people... funny. Um, so I would have come across this kind of a problem. I was never CEO of a smaller organization, but coming through the ranks as a support person, or what we used to they used to call us. We remember system administrators, or yeah, and then we became like IT managers. Yes, then I would deal with those kind of individuals. So that was many, many, many years ago. But once you start working for the bigger organizations and that I didn't, I didn't come across that. So it'd be interesting what the audience say. What I, what I did come across, what I used to call the brother-in-law syndrome. So um, you would be at the office and then your, your CEO would come call you to his office to talk to you about some new thing that his brother-in-law, when they were on the, on, when they were playing golf, he told him about, <laughs> Right. Did you hear about this thing called chat button? Like, why are you guys not doing it? And then that's what I used to call brother-in-law syndrome. But I think this is something different, right? So basically you're saying you've, and it's interesting um, because let's be honest, if you're a CIO that's been in the game for a long time, you are faced with a workforce because I think we've got something like three different generations in the workplace now. You are faced with uh, younger people there. They are, might be more technology savvy than, than you. It's, it is. So what, what do you have to back yourself up is your leadership skills, your experience. So that's how you back that back. But I've never had that where a CEO said, I'm good at a spreadsheet, so I know more than you. I'd like right. to hear what the audience says. I've never come across that. Right. As a yeah, CEO, and I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, maybe a way to broaden that question or statement is just a, you know, lack of understanding of, technologies of what modern technologies can do beyond what a spreadsheet can do and and how do you you know when an executive thinks they've got the answers they, they think they have it figured out but they don't fully understand the technology um i mm. you know maybe that's the broader question there um you know i don't know if and that's that again is more no sorry again that's more of a personality thing isn't it I mean, doesn't yeah. matter. And I can tell you now that guy is telling his CFO he knows more than the CFO and he's telling his whoever I'm no more than you and he's telling <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And here's uh you you have at least one person uh on the line that agrees with a comment you made earlier, Ridwan, and this is from Donald on LinkedIn. He says, You don't know the craziness I see from the executive level in the government. Um and that is <laughs> yeah. followed. It that kind of builds on what you'd said earlier. But this is actually a even more uh important point that he makes as a follow-up. This is also from Donald on LinkedIn. He says they think IT is only help desk. Um, and that's a, I think that's an, a, a difficult mindset shift, not just for IT leaders, but also for organizations in general is to view mm -hmm. IT not as a help desk, not as just a support function, but more of a strategic enabler of the organization. How do you, I know it's a big yeah. question, but how do you, how do you recommend organizations navigate that, that challenge? So it's good. It's going to be a bit unfair what I'm, how I'm going to answer, but also um, I'll give another perspective of why I think it's the other way that sometimes, right? So that my initial reaction to that is, well, then this your CIO should be more strategic, right? Which we know. If, if you're in a multinational, let's think about it. Let's choose one of the big multinationals. And they think IT is only help disk. Something wrong with that CIO, right? Because he's got the opportunity to be whatever or she or she. But I think Donald's talking about it in government. And, and I've had the experience in government. Yes, then I understand that. Because they do have a different mindset, a different... It's not profit-driven. It's 
more politically motivated. And you typically find in government that, and it's interesting that CIOs not only report to, and have the title CIO, not only report to the CFO, they also report to the corporate services executive, not even the COO. So they're seen as a corporate services. So that's where that mindset, oh, it's just, just a help thing. Because let's be honest, in government, how crazy can you can you get? Actually, you know, right. you can't. And the other problem you have there is that your leadership, well, we see that in Africa, changes very often in, in government. There's a, there's, a quick, there's a lot of churn at that right. level. Yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see CIOs make? Um, and, and that you've seen them make in in recent years. So I think when they become complacent. So um, if you think, and I think I spoke about it a lot, um, it's this thing of urgency, addiction. So, and I had it coming through IT. I came through the help desk. You wait for something to go wrong, <laughs> or you go and think so that something can go wrong. It's that right. to get yeah. So what what I find is that you've you can't wait. You can't be an order taker. Don't sit back and wait for the business to ask you for something. You, so I've done that. That was great, right? Um, we rolled out X number of laptops in uh, and everybody is – that's fantastic. But you got to go back to – once you've done that, you, you can't just rest on your laurels. you got to go and look for something else now. What else can I do? How else can I make a difference in the business? Because I think the thing that I find, especially when the guys get older, is when th- when things start humming and you have something like a 99% uptime, they tend to, okay, I'm, I'm going to wait it out now. <laughs> I'm chilling, you know. Um, I, I think that's the mistake that, uh, that I see. I think those days are gone. But you can sit back and wait for your retirement. You're going to be taken out. I right. think that's, yeah, they need to now keep up on their game. All the right. time. I think that's important. Right, right. Um, what about, um, you know, making sure that they have buy-in into their changes and into the transformations? How, what are some of the tactics or strategies that that CIOs can use to ensure that they they have that level of buy-in as they, as they lead change in their organizations? To get the buy-in. So the important thing is uh, what we call business value of IT, right? So everything that you're talking, everything that you're presenting, um, even when you're presenting a budget of why you're doing something, your output is always focused on what they're trying to achieve as an organization. So it's it's important that when you're sitting, and, and I'm guilty of it when I started out as a CIO, is to sit in the exec, and when the CFO, CIO used to start talking, I used to switch off. It's like I'll wait for my turn. But those days are gone. So you've got to listen to what everything is happening around you all the time. So that when you come in and you sell something, you're talking there using their language. Then also, depending on which organization you're in, it's, um, they also use technical language. You're using their language. And making sure that you have a relationship with them. That's very important. Like I use that example of the CRO. We used to support each other on certain initiatives. You know, Um and that's why I kind of allowed him to do his shadow IT. So that when I came and said, hey, I want to do this. So it's about being politically savvy, being aware. Um, because sometimes you think, man, this is a great thing. AI is the best thing for this company ever. You know, I've done all the research. I've, I've looked at all the white papers. And then you come in and you try and sell it like that. Like, what the hell? You got to talk to, what are they saying? Change management. I mean, heart, minds, and feet. 
think it is. So th that's what you need to do. So you have to be a bit of a change agent and understand these human traits, I think, to get yeah. them to make the change. People don't change because it's the right thing to do. People right. change because they, they, they feel passionate about it or they want to make the change, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Here's a comment from LinkedIn. Uh, being purely reactive has come and gone. You have to focus on how to be proactive and only be reactive on those edge cases. Hundred um, percent. That yeah. makes a lot of sense, given everything we're talking about about how the role has evolved uh, since the 1980s. Mm -hmm. That that's definitely true uh, here today. Um, so I guess just to uh, you know one one more question, then I'll have sort of a, a, a capstone question to, to come uh, to to follow up on. Uh, but what tech trends should CIOs be most aware of in the 2020? So we haven't really we've sort of touched on a few different things like AI and. Yeah robotic process automation and stuff like that. But what are some yeah. of the different, um, what are some of the different um, things that we should be aware of or, or challenges we should be aware of, or, or I'm sorry, trends we should be aware of with, with technology? So I think this whole, it's, I mean, it's very topical at the moment and it's a real thing. It's uh, the whole hybrid working, right? It's, 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 it's people being able to work anywhere. I think that's, that's like a very, very important right now. And I think it's going to be top of mind because of, um, retaining talent things like that um, um my stepson is in it and he's very upset because he has to go back to an office so somebody like him uh, could decide hey i'm gonna do hybrid work so i, I think it's important to to in, to enable that you know how, how do you how do you enable that as, as a ceo of hybrid working for employees and then i want to turn the thing about what tech trends you should be watching and and, I'm, and i'll tell you why i'm going to say it like this so remember i come from gartner we used to have this top 10 technology trends and, and, and all these trends and, and i can say it now because i've left a lot of those trends are not relevant to you so the way you need to look at this is from a customer perspective which uh, drucker peter drucker used to call the outside in how does your customer interact with your with you right what is it in then what are the tech trends that's gonna then change that and then on the other end you look at it the way steve jobs said he said the customer doesn't know what he wants so i will create these kind of things so i think yeah. when you look at this stuff don't get caught up in the in the hype yes there's some stuff we can't deny becoming data-driven organizations people ask me why did i do digital transformation I said, I'm putting things in place because I want the data. Because the data, then I could give it to AI. If I had the data, I could start predicting. So I think that's that's the important thing is, 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 is look at it not so much from what are the technology trends, what are the customer trends, what's happening with your customer. And then you apply your technology to that. It's a, And then it's a little bit of both. And you look at, so, so what are some of the important trends? I think it's that whole hybrid working so that people can work, work from everywhere. AI most definitely is not going away if anything that's going. Uh, augmented reality, uh, virtual reality, uh, the metaverse. Uh, people still laugh at me when I talk about that. But, you know, if Snoop Dogg is in there, <laughs> it's, the place, it's the place to be. So starting um, to get mainstream if he's uh, embracing it. Yeah, it's slowly but slowly but surely. So... I think, yeah, uh, look at it like that from your from what is your customer? What is he, what is impacting on your customer in terms of technology trends? And then go there. Then make sure you're in that space. Because if you're not, your competitor is going to be there while you playing around with this latest technology in-house. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I think it's, it's uh, you hit a good point, which is there's a fine line between um, 
adopting emerging technologies where appropriate, where the business needs are. But it's, there's a temptation to go too far and to go too far down the, the Steve Jobs path, which is let's envision something that the organization could adopt to. And, and you want some of that, but if you go too far, what ends up happening is you end up with a bunch of shelfware. You overinvest in a bunch of technology that you can't get business value out of. Steve Jobs, I, you know, it's easy to emulate or to want to emulate Steve Jobs, but he really mm-hmm. was a, um, you know, sort of a once in a lifetime sort of technology leader. You know, most people don't just aren't at that level, you know, and not to dismiss the intelligence of the rest of us in the world, but he's just on a whole mm. different uh, plant planet really in terms of intelligence and his vision. So Correct. you can have some Steve jobs. You just don't want to go too far. Cause if you get too far, um, if you try to go too far down that path, we see a lot of organizations that, you know, like metaverse is a great example. If you could double down on the metaverse right now, but what are you going to do with it as a business? Mm. You know, what, mm. what you're going to sit on that technology and try and figure it out for years and maybe it'll pay off someday, but there's also a likelihood that you distract the organization. You overinvest in technology. That's not mature yet. It doesn't support money. your business needs and it creates a lot of challenges. So I think there's mm. a, a balancing act that's, that's needed there. hundred percent. Yeah. So, so I guess the last question I have for you, just to wrap up the conversation here, is what is the biggest single piece of advice that you would give to either to people that are already CIOs or um, people that are aspiring to be a CIO? What what advice or what 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 takeaways would you leave them with so they could be more successful in their jobs? So, so I think it's leadership, right? So this whole thing about transformative leadership, so move away from, it's been around for a while, so move away from the whole transactional leadership to more trans, transformational leadership. Um, you, and then it's about like what, almost like what we're doing now, it's like getting your profile out there, um, doing more public speaking, getting, you know, seen as a thought leader you know that that kind of thing because that's what actually organizations are looking for as well they want the cios to be at the front of so that people are interested in their companies because it's a way of revenue generation down the line oh this is a thought leader this is a great company and also to attract talent to to your company so still do the courses you know the, the your, your it courses that if you're coming through the ranks because um, i'm sure both you and south Eric will tell any youngster that pay your school fees. <laughs> right. Yeah. Come through the ranks and it's always stood me in good stead because that's why I could manage so many diverse individuals in my department because I did most of their jobs. Um, but I think the other important thing is become more business savvy as well. Start figuring out business savvy. And the thing I want to, to, to say is it's, um, oh, I can't remember his name. Now. I said the ability to learn, unlearn, and relearn. That's the most important thing, especially in a CRO role. It's, it's constantly changing. Mm. It's not for the faint-hearted. So if you think it's a role that I'm going to reach this and then once I'm there, I'm, I'm good, then it's not for you. It's, it's a constantly changing, reinventing yourself type, type of role. Right. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. That's a great place to leave it. You know, constantly reinvent, reinvent yourself and push your boundaries to learn more and and if you're not strong in certain areas like the you know the the political piece of it or the the people change management side of things the operational business process side of things whatever it is you know just really push yourself to expand your horizons on that front which is you could say that for any role in any organization but especially the CIO role all right thank you Ridwan great conversation appreciate having you on the show that was very helpful especially if you are an existing or an aspiring 
IT leader. Hopefully you found that helpful. And uh, we found it so helpful that we have a couple points we're going to unpack here. But first, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 76. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, as well as all the audio podcast platforms. And be sure to follow us on social media as well, whether it's LinkedIn or uh, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, whatever the case may be, whatever the case may be, be sure to check us out there. So Kyler, we just had Ridwan on the show. We talked about IT leadership and some of the challenges they face, how to avoid failure, how to be successful, how the role's changing, all that good stuff. What were some of your takeaways or some of the things that sort of stood out to you in that conversation? Yeah, these, this was one of those interviews that I really wanted to be live on because I had so many questions. Um, because the way that Ridwan um, describes that CIO of how they need to have specific skill sets to avoid failure as a CIO. For example, being politically savvy, having empathy, having the ability to kind of read the room and play the game. It seems like that would be really hard to find in a technical based role. So I wanted to ask you, how do you hire a CIO? How would you find someone as a CEO in an organization that would fit all of those boxes, but still be able to kind of walk the technical talk and speak to, you know, the IT administration stakeholders that is needed to uh, be supportive of this role? Yeah, it's that's a great question and something clients often struggle with. And I'll tell you what the the default answer is a lot of times for clients, but I don't think it's the right answer. The, the default answer is oftentimes let's go do an outside search and find mm -hmm. that guy or gal that has that technical competency, can learn the operations quickly, all that good stuff. That, that might be sort of a last resort, I would say, if that's your only or your best option, then certainly that's okay. But what I would challenge organizations to do before going that route is to look at your internal team and look at, you know, who do you have internally that maybe isn't considered an IT guru or a technology leading edge expert, but someone that really understands your operations. They're somewhat of a visionary or understand how things could be better um, within the organization. Perhaps they've worked at other organizations and seen how technology has worked differently and how different processes have worked. So they have sort of a open mind or a bigger view of the world uh, outside of your organization. Um, 
that skill set we found for a lot of our clients is extremely effective when you put in a um, CIO or not just a, an IT leader, but also if you th if you're thinking about your transformation leadership, if you're about to go through a digital transformation, or you're looking for someone who can really lead the charge internally with your transformation, the same holds true there. So if you can find that person that's credible because they understand your operations, they came up through the ranks on the operational side, and they might have a bit of a technology slant, sometimes those are the most effective people because they, they can learn the technology stuff a lot faster than they're going to be able to pick up and understand all those years of experience within your operations. And to me, that's the more important part because they understand the culture, they understand the you know, the operations, the vision. Now, the key here, the caveat is that you don't want to put someone in that role that's not open to change. Sometimes you get people that are so highly tenured, they've been around on the operational side for so long that they get sort of set in their ways and they don't see any other way. And so you, mm -hmm. you have to walk a fine line, someone that's experienced enough, but not so experienced that um, perhaps that's all they know. Um, so anyway, those are the some of the main skills I would look for when looking for a, a strong IT leader, whatever that role might be. Exactly, yeah. Can you talk more about the the business architect? You had really had that term um, when you when you were speaking to uh, Ridwan about a CIO and what they should be able to do as far as building out the digital side of the business and making sure that it it's structured and the foundation is strong for the rest of the enterprise. I really like that term business architect, specifically in more of an information technology space. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So, so business architect has a couple different meanings. One is to pull together technology and business processes. So the business and technology side, how do you, how do you pull that together? How do you architect that to coincide or coexist together? Um, the other part of it too, though, is more maybe on the system architecture, the, the technology architecture side, which is how do we how do we plug and play, mix and match different technologies to solve our business problems and how do we tie it together and, and sort of create a unified strategy that might involve multiple pieces of different technologies. Um, a lot of times organizations take the path of least resistance, which is oftentimes let's just go find one system that can do most of what we need and not have to worry about the whole business architecture thing. Uh, you're going to need that business architecture role no matter what, because you're going to have to find a way to integrate business and technology. But even if your vision is a single enterprise-wide technology, such as an ERP system, chances are extremely high that you're going to have to tie that system to some other system for regulatory purposes, or just because there's gaps and deficiencies in the technology, or because this system itself isn't as much of a one single ERP system as it's being sold. You see a lot of systems today, for example, that, you know, like SAP and Microsoft and those guys, some of the big software vendors, they're selling software that is sold as a single ERP system. But the reality is it's a it's a patchwork of different systems that you have to tie together. So that business architecture role is super important. And you add another trend to this to the mix here that's sort of putting more demand or more credibility in the space of business architecture. And that is that more organizations are migrating away from sort of a single system mindset and more mm -hmm. of a platform mindset. So in other words, instead of putting in one big massive system that does everything, let's put in more of a platform that we can use to evolve and sort of latch onto or bolt onto or tailor to fit different needs throughout the organization. So all those things point to an increasing demand and uh, value of this business architecture role. 
Absolutely. And I think that fits perfectly to something else I was going to mention that Ridwan said was a key to success um, for a CIO or someone seeking to be a CIO is figuring out how to unlock the value of technology. It might be one thing to be very technically savvy and be able to implement all of these different um, systems and integrate them to your point so that they are more of that platform structure. But it's a entirely another thing to really focus on unlocking the value for the specific business. Um, so I thought that was really a, kind of the shift between being just in IT leadership, but but then ascending to that CIO role. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I think my my biggest key finding is after listening to these from Ridwan, I don't want to be anywhere near a CIO role because now I'm scared. I <laughs> I feel like there's no, as you said, the CIO role can be very lonely. But in all seriousness, I I have to assume that ascending to a suite, a C-suite position, which you know is is a huge accomplishment, to be in that leadership role. Is there, who do you go to? Who who do you have to be able to get additional coaching to, you know, understand your leadership style? What are some options when you really are, you know, at the highest tier that you could potentially be within the company? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of things that we, we encourage or have encouraged our clients to do in the past is one is to probably... I would say maybe the most important thing you can do is really surround yourself with peers that are going through similar situations. Um, so other CIOs, other IT leaders, um, it, you know, ways to do that. That's something that we do with our clients. We try to put our clients in touch with each other. So they have sounding boards that are just, you know, people that can relate to them and to each other differently than we as consultants can, because we're not in their shoes. We're, we help tons of clients that are in their shoes, but we're not them. So sometimes talking to a peer that has been through something similar or is going through something similar uh, can be very helpful. Um, certainly even just our, you know, this podcast and some of the live streams and uh, other community sorts of events that we try to host with the community is, is meant to provide that camaraderie and peer to peer learning. Um, and then there's, you know, organizations like uh, organizations and conferences in the industry are good ways to network and learn from others. So, you know, Gartner has uh, conferences and peer-to-peer um, -peer type stuff that they do, um, you know, and just any other industry event. If you're a, you know, if you are using an SAP or Microsoft or Oracle NetSuite, whatever system you might be using internally, look at their user conferences. Sometimes just going to those annual conferences can be a great way to just network and meet other people that are using similar technologies. There's a lot of resources out there. That's the good news. It's just a matter of taking advantage of it. Absolutely. Well, such a great conversation. And, and I hope this is a three-part series because I love to hear from Ridwan and he's got an, an amazing um, portfolio of experience. And I know we're really grateful to have him pioneering um, the Africa, Middle East and, and Europe marketplace for us. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a great guest for sure. Every time he's been on so far, I feel like we're abruptly ending the conversation because we run out of time and there's so much we didn't talk about. So I agree with you. It'd be easy to have them on, uh, easy uh, to have another hour-long conversation for sure. Um, so yeah, thanks for thanks to him for being on here, and, and thanks for those great follow-up questions there too. That that's good stuff. Um, so good. Well, we're gonna shift gears and take a break, and when we come back, uh, Kyler and I are gonna take some audience questions. We're gonna talk about uh, emerging technologies and 
digital and change strategies in general, how to, how to, how to navigate change and how to define a strategy in the context of some of these emerging technologies out there in the marketplace, uh, things like virtual reality, augmented reality, the metaverse, um, even just modern ERP systems and enterprise-wide technologies that use um, machine learning and AI and stuff like that. So we're going to talk about these emerging technologies and take your questions about that in sort of a, a free-flowing conversation. Uh, we'll, first, before we do that, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings, and the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 76. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. And uh, what I, we wanted to do here now is shift gears a bit. We had uh, our guest Ridwan earlier. We had a fairly focused conversation talking about a specific topic. But what we wanted to do today is broaden the lens a little bit and get the audience involved. And so we wanted to have this conversation to pull some thoughts and some threads from social media. Um, so again, if you're not connected to Kyler and I, and or third stage consulting on social media, be sure to do so because we're always having these sorts of conversations outside of this podcast. We're having these conversations real time every day um, out in LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, whatever social media platform you're using, chances are we're on there. So be sure to look for us there and be part of the conversation, part of the community. Uh, but what we wanted to do is pull some of those threads and sort of bring them to life here in the podcast. So we thought we'd, we'd um, start there. So with all that being said, uh, Kyler, thanks for being part of this conversation. Happy to. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're, we're doing a little bit of a, a different format here today. Usually when we do these, uh, these interviews, we typically will have a very targeted topic we're trying to unpack a bit. And, but we found that occasionally it's nice just to have sort of an open-ended Q&A forum, just to have more of a conversation with, with the audience and, and uh, also trying to pull in some topics from social media as well. And uh, one of the things I wanted to start with, actually, um, Kyler, was, was a blog that you recently wrote earlier this month, um, sort of to coincide with the United States's uh, Independence Day holiday. Um, you wrote a blog called How Technology Has Changed America, and we published it on uh, July 4th, which is the day of independence for for United States or the day we celebrate our independence uh, in the United States. But maybe you know, if we sort of broaden the view a little bit here of that, 
that topic or that blog, uh, even though the, the title is How Technology Changed America, it really applies to the world. I mean, it's how technology has changed the world. That's sort of the way I, I interpreted the, the blog. But maybe just tell us a little bit about um, kind of what what got you thinking that that would be a good topic and maybe maybe summarize some of the, the threads or some of the main points of that that blog topic. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so we we like to pull in some lifestyle con content um, for not only our our U.S. based audience but also our global audience. So that that's kind of what started the thought process on um, revolution, um, right? Because the American Revolution it was the independence of the United States or the colonies at the time. Um, so what I wanted to do is just talk about how technology in itself has re revolutionized just the way we live our life. Uh, so a lot of that has happened through emerging technologies that we utilize in business, right? Uh, but also that influences just how we communicate as human beings. Uh, so some of those, for example, our um, artificial intelligence, you know, that is completely revolutionized the way that we do business um, when it comes to uh, utilizing data and um actionable insights from that data and automations we've we've seen that in a variety of different industries whether we're looking at healthcare telehealth diagnostics um, finance uh, e-commerce manufacturing logistics for supply chain um, ai has really come in as a technology that can uh, revolutionize the way those those processes are are done um, and i know we have a, a big ai focused audience here. So again, we'd, we'd love to hear from you um, wherever you're watching. You can just pop your questions or comments in whatever platform you're utilizing. Um, and that brings us to our next revolution, if you will, which is social media, right? You know, that's the way that we we often communicate. That's the way that we're communicating with our audience right now through platforms that brings users directly to the brand or the you know the influencer they're talking to which has never really been a way in which you communicated beforehand um in the business world that's caused audiences and and businesses to have to have this demand for uh for responding to their communities right away so you see handles and platforms about customer service and it's really revolutionized the way that we communicate with our customers and then also the way that we we get analytics about our goods and products right you know you can get those in real time make different changes or uh, flexible strategies uh, for your overall digital communities and it's a you know been a, a huge change since the, the before days, if you will, um, before social media and, and everything and that connectivity. So, um, so those are just a, a few things that uh, that I, I wanted to talk about in in how that just digital based revolution has brought to the forefront of our human experience, our communication experience, and our business strategies. Yeah. Yeah, and you actually in the blog too. In addition to the the couple of things you just mentioned, you, you sort of get into some um, bleeding edge technologies, mm -hmm. at least in the context of of the traditional enterprise and business technology. Um, you you talk, for example, about um, augmented reality mm -hmm. um, and virtual reality, 
and I know we've talked a lot in this podcast in the, in the past, in past episodes about the metaverse as well. Um, what are your thoughts on, um, you know, just the, the augmented reality, virtual reality? Do you think that, um, first of all, do you think that's something that is, is being embraced by the mainstream business community now? And, and if not, do you think it's something that will be embraced in the, in the near future? Or is this something that's sort of pretty far out there that we're still a few years away from really, really grasping for, at the enterprise level? Yeah, I, I think it's really going to depend a lot. Um, it depends, right? You've taught me well right. um, on, on the business structure. So the metaverse is kind of this unknown, tan untangible thing, right? We we see it kind of in the gaming world where you can go in and have a completely different digital experience than you have in your, your physical form, your physical world, if you will. So I'm not sure that the metaverse has a solid definition or a relatability, if you will, for how customers will use that in their everyday life. Um, but I think augmented reality and virtual reality are a bit different. Um, there's a, a different level of, of comfort in the ease of use. We've seen that through entertainment, um, specifically sports. We've talked a lot about how augmented reality, virtual reality has really changed the consumption of sports. Um, whether you are watching through a virtual headset that allows you to see from a seat in a stadium that you've never been able to get that front row access before. Um, or if we're talking about uh, training, specialized training, um, augmented reality, training surgeons, having the opportunity to actually go through the experience of surgery on a human body in a training capacity that you typically wouldn't be able to do, right? Most people are not just going to, you know, uh, let you open them up and, you know, discover all of the different things. I don't think anyone in that capacity really is excited to say, hey, your your surgeon has never done surgery before. So, you know, they're practicing on you. Uh, that could be actually a very vulnerable situation. So being able to hone in on those those actual uh, assets and skill sets in an augmented reality or virtual reality uh, sphere is a, a huge thing for those types of, of medical healthcare industries, which we kind of talked about before that digital transformation. So I think there's a lot of different avenues that we're going to have to ease into that if it makes sense for your customer base. I don't know that we're all going to, you know, be having lunch in Japan in the metaverse tomorrow. Um, we'll have to kind of understand what the appetite is for that user base and understanding your customer and utilizing those analytics through um, those emerging technologies we just we just touched on is going to be really the first step to seeing if if your business is ready for that on the customer experience side. Right. Yeah, I was just reading just uh, either yesterday or the day before I was reading an article about how um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, BM, I think it was BMW and Siemens and maybe a couple other firms had partnered to create an industrial metaverse that's intended to be integrated with technologies like um, AR and VR with augmented reality, virtual reality, but also pulling in um, CAD and, and um, you know, sort of 3D design and really mm -hmm. trying to help with the product development lifecycle and help to speed up the product right. development lifecycle and test out products and things like that. 
I'm not 100% clear on how you mimic human behavior in the metaverse using some of these technologies or, or accurately mimic human behavior to know, you know, how to test the products and that sort of thing. Um, but it, it sort of leads to a question we actually got from LinkedIn, uh, from from Ryan over on LinkedIn. He asks, um, do you see the technologies you were just talking about, augmented reality, virtual reality, and metaverse, all being different technologies, or do you see them uh, coming together? And, and just before you answer that, I'll, I'll maybe uh, mention the comment of what someone else has already made, <laughs> sort of a response to that question on LinkedIn. Um, Dakota on LinkedIn already responded to that question and said, we'll all be the same. That's why Facebook bought Ray-Ban. Um, so I think what, what uh, Dakota on LinkedIn is suggesting is that these technologies are converging and they're all going to sort of be one um, universe, if you will, or one ecosystem of technologies. What are your thoughts? I mean, do you, like those, those use cases you just described, like the medical, mm-hmm. um, the, the uh, training in the medical field, do you see that being separate from the metaverse or do you see this all coming together to where if that were to happen, that sort of training you're talking about in that example that would need to happen yeah. in the metaverse or how do you, how do you see this all converging or do you have a sense of that? Yeah. Um, I think that the metaverse is a, an integration of all of these different technologies in the, in the opportunity that it gives you the experience of utilizing them. Um, so very similar to being in a, a movie theater, right? If you think about, uh, consuming entertainment in that way. You see the technology of the actual entertainment, whether it's a movie, um, the projection technology, the audio technology, you know, even the seats that move sometimes when you're in, you know, a big IMAX setting. Those are all different technologies technically, right? But they create one cohesive experience Um, And that's really what the metaverse will be. And when you look at it or is, you know, depending on who you ask, you know, I don't want to people sound off on the in the comments about, you know, if you think it's a real thing yet. But you can see uh, per Dakota's comment of bigger brands or organizations setting the foundation for cross pollinating in these different areas. When you look at why meta uh, which is, you know, now Instagram and Facebook purchased Ray-Ban um, and having that more augment, augmented technology opportunity, um, those types of, of different uh, of strategies, you know, to be able to move in that direction uh, through mergers and acquisitions, those types of, of different pieces. I think to your point that I'll make about uh, the industrial metaverse, it's those efficiencies that you can pull out of product development of supply chain especially I'll start in a different word um, in now our global challenges around supply chain uh, and if you are able to to manufacture using um, you know 3D printing those types of different areas then you're able to cut and lean out your supply chain um, areas or or breakage points to make your product get to your customers or get to a different business um, more quickly and efficiently. And that's something that you can pull out today using these technologies um, when it comes to specifically and then moving towards the metaverse and seeing how that emerges for different business and organizations. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because uh, um, there's just so many there's so much left to be determined 
with metaverse, with AR, with VR, you know, all these technologies we're, we're talking about, there's so much still developing and it's still maturing at a very rapid pace. It's, it's really hard in some ways to pinpoint or, or to identify how that technology can fit into a, a longer term digital strategy for, for organizations. Um, just a couple of comments, you know, as it relates to the metaverse uh, from the audience here, um, Ryan on LinkedIn says, honestly, I don't see the metaverse catching on for another three to five years because the technology needed to do all the live stuff they want to do isn't exactly there yet. Microsoft's been working hard to put together mixed reality to where you're viewing real live machines, troubleshooting steps, et cetera. Um, and he mentions Microsoft, but I think an important point here is that Microsoft is developing their metaverse. Facebook is developing theirs. Um, there's a number of different metaverses being created um, sort of like platforms, I guess you could say, you know, metaverse platforms to where there's not a standard, there's not, you know, there, there's no universal um, technology tying this all together. And it's still sort of a lot still TBD or to be, mm -hmm. to be determined on what the standard's going to be. Is there going to be, you know, which platforms are going to survive or become the, the sort of the mainstream uh, versions of the metaverse? Um, there's a lot of unknowns there. So I think um, anyone who adopts it now is going to be, you know, certainly on the bleeding edge of technology, at least in the in the industrial space. Um, but it's interesting to see Siemens and BMW and some of these other larger mm -hmm. firms that are committing to the metaverse and, and dedicating R&D dollars to try and figure out how to how to make their businesses better as a result of it. Um, Dakota on LinkedIn also says you need to understand that machines and meta and your ERP systems all need to talk and act as one. Uh, and that's really, I guess, where, yeah. you know, I'm still trying to get my head around where the metaverse fits into general or broader enterprise technologies, um, because so many organizations are having trouble just getting off their mainframe systems, for example. You know, they're still using systems from the 80s, the green screen mainframe systems, and a lot of those organizations that we're helping just, just to get to some sort of basic level of automation and uh, digitization and digital transformation, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's enough of a struggle for a lot of organizations. And then you add one step further or a couple steps further, which is now introducing the metaverse. And, um, you start talking about like industry 4.0 and web 3.0 and some of the big, you know, mega trends in the space. That's a whole nother jump or a whole nother leap beyond what a lot of organizations are struggling with it, it, it even more fundamental level. So do you see like change management, which is going to lead me to another, uh, social media discussion thread here in mm -hmm. a second, but do you see change management being a significant issue or just the human adoption of some of these, these cutting edge technologies? Oh, for sure. And I think um, the culture of the organization around their appetite for change is so important. So what businesses can do today is create that foundation and that acceptance of change of emerging technologies within their digital strategy, that's going to be step one, is understanding the fundamental shift that this, this is going to be for your business, not just your customers, but internally. What does that mean for your community? And you're going to need to be able to have a, a solid change management plan and strategies around what is it going to look like for your employee experience, for your business experience to be able to transition. Because if you don't have those fundamentals in place, there's no point in integrating any of these new technologies or technology revolutions that we're talking about because they, they won't be utilized or they'll create such disruption 
in your organization because of misperceptions, because of lack of communication, because of fear, all of those different um, those different change management tactics that need to be applied, that's going to be step one in making sure that you're ready to go through uh, this, any sort of, of new technology, digital transformation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Tyler and I are here taking questions and talking about emerging technologies, digital strategies and change in general. We're going to continue the conversation when we come back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 76. And Kyler and I are here taking audience questions and interacting with social media on topics ranging from emerging technologies to change management and everything in between. You know, one maybe closing comment that'll lead to this next thread that we'll, we'll pick up here is um, Gassan over on LinkedIn says that we're all living in the matrix. So that's <laughs> that's an interesting way to sort of summarize yeah. the the thread here. And I think that's how a lot of people feel about some of these technologies mm -hmm. is it does feel very matrix ish. Um, yeah, and by the way, that blog pill. that I mentioned, I, I should have said this up front, but what's that? I said, take the red pill, Gassan. Right. <laughs> yep. And uh, the blog that I was referring to here that you wrote, Kyler, uh, how technology has changed America, you can find that on the third stage website, I should have said that up front, but I neglected to do that. Uh, but third stage dash consulting.com is where you find our uh, blog, which we put uh, roughly about three blogs a week um, out on the website. So there's always good stuff there if you ever want to uh, just sort of keep up with some of these emerging trends and some of our thoughts and research and experience with these different technologies. Check out the blog at thirdstage-consulting.com. Um, but one of the other threads I wanted to pick up here, and by the way, uh, to our audience here, um, let me come back to the audience here before I jump into this question. But um, if you have questions you want to cover here, just general digital transformation or tech strategy sorts of things, please feel free to drop those in the chat. Uh, we love the conversation we're having here so far. Um, we had asked earlier where people are joining from. Uh, we have a couple of people from uh, India, from Bangalore, one from uh, Suman, Bangalore. Um, Sam Graham from Spain is here, um, among others. So those are just a few examples of uh, where people are joining from. Um, I haven't heard anyone say they're joining from the metaverse, so that's uh, good news, bad news, I suppose. But um, we are talking about the metaverse here. Um, but I, but after actually shifting gears away from the metaverse, maybe just broadening the conversation a little bit uh, to talk about uh, other sorts of stuff, just technology in general. Um, one of the, the questions that I had asked on LinkedIn, which um, I love to post just questions for discussion and to get people's feedback on LinkedIn. So if you don't follow or if you're not connected to myself personally, 
and to Third Stage Consulting Group on LinkedIn. Be sure to follow us both and connect with us, with us both. We have different threads and conversations going there at any given time. But the question I asked here on LinkedIn, which is of interest, which, which was just a few days ago, I asked the question of why do people resist change? Um, and then I went on to say, well, despite popular belief, most people simply just don't want to change. Um, and I posted a video, uh, a TikTok video on that po post that sort of explained it a little bit more. And so my premise or my argument in, in this post was that people um, people don't want to change. I mean, in general, and, and, and I, I use intentionally sort of strong language there. I, I think, uh, you know, now that we're unpacking a bit, one thing to clarify is that I don't, I don't think most people resist change in a nefarious way or in a in an intentional way. Usually it's more um, subtle and it's usually more personal and it's usually um, coming from a better place. I would say, I don't think people, I don't think many people within most organizations are just flat out trying to sabotage change or trying to undermine sure. change. I think it's coming from a place of fear and, and uh, uncertainty and things of that nature. So I was curious to get some feedback from, from the, um, you know, from the community on that comment. And, um, and then, so, so it was interesting because it actually turned into quite a debate, which is oftentimes what I'm trying to do is stimulate a, a debate or some controversy. And um, Eduardo Muniz on, on LinkedIn, who, who I'm connected to, um, made the comment that said, uh, Eric, come on, you know, that's not accurate. If you've ever involved people to deploy change, you should know that people won't perform as expected when facing change either because they don't understand why change is needed and they don't know how to perform as expected or simply because they can't address those reasons in advance and people will embrace change and make it sustainable. So he has some good points. He's sort of giving uh, an answer here or a prescription to what you need to do to help overcome change. Uh, but I guess my point or my hypothesis or my statement was that in general, if you don't do those things, if you just sort of introduce change to an organization, in general, people and organizations are going to resist it. Whether you're talking about the metaverse, like we've been talking about here today, or whether you're talking about a financial system or a CRM system or supply chain, whatever, you know, insert technology name or buzzword here, people will generally resist it, especially if it's a bigger change, you know, the bigger the change, the more likely it is that people are going to resist it. But what are some of your thoughts just based on all the interviews and conversations we've had on this podcast and all of our consulting experience with, with working with clients and our different team members on project teams? What, what are some of your thoughts around this whole, this whole debate, Kyler? Yeah, I mean, I think it it reminds me of Eric and I both don't like water. It's like we were, if you know the United States, we're both from Colorado and it's a, a landlocked state. We don't have a ton of water. So I always think about change management in the fact that people are terrified of the unknown. Like when I go into a big body of water, I'm scared because I have no idea what is under that water. And it makes me uncomfortable. I have no idea what's going to happen to me under that water. I don't know if I can trust what's under that water. I don't know, you know, what the experience will be in the water. And that's a, a lot of what change management is, right? And the resistance to change is, I don't know this new system. I don't know how it's going to affect my job. Will I have a job? Will I continue to do what I like in my role? What will that look like? And when you have all of those unknowns um, or you don't have a solid change management plan, that's where resistance is born. So I, I would still go more towards your argument or you know the, the argument that you had just mentioned, the fact that 
it's not so much a, a resistance that's conscious. It's more of a resistance that's birthed from fear of the unknown or what's under the water of this new process, experience, or technology. Yeah, that's a good good way to put it. And that is uh, a good way to relate it back to years and my personal uh, fears and quirks and that sort of thing. Um, I do have a, a an intense, irrational fear of being in the water, although I love beaches and being around the water, being on the water, I just don't want to get in it. Um, I have no desire to get in any sort of large body of water. Um, so yeah, it's, it's the, but it's a good point, um, that, that you make. And I, and I think getting back to Eduardo's point too, um, is that, you know, he's sort of making the assumption that it, it as long as you do these things, and he mentions that some of the mm -hmm. things that you should do, um, understanding the why, the how, uh, making sure they have the skills that they need. Um, that sort of is the solution to the problem that I'm describing here. So I think in some ways he's he's providing a prescription, but he's also validating the point that it, you need to do these things or else people are going to resist the change. And I think that's where a lot of organizations fall short is they assume that people are fed up or tired of their old outdated technologies and workflows and manual processes. So they, of course, are going to accept technology. They're going to want a new system or want um, to make their jobs easier or whatever the case may be. Um, the problem is if everything Eduardo mentions, if they don't understand the, the how, the why, what their skills um, are going to be required, uh, what you mentioned as far as um, are they going to have a job, you know, those sorts of fears we've got to address or else people will resist change. And again, it won't generally come from a bad place. It won't generally be super detectable, but it, it's uh, sort of that underlying current that back to the water analogy and fear that you and I both have. Uh, it's that underlying current that, that sort of sucks people under uh, when it comes to, to changing. Um, you know, one of the uh, comments here that maybe will stimulate some additional controversy or comments is from uh, Dakota on LinkedIn. Yeah. He says, change requires effort and people are lazy. That's why pain is the biggest game changer in humans. <laughs> so... He's just throwing out, he's just launching grenades here, throwing grenades out. I love that. To respond to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, I, I love that. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if, I don't know if I necessarily use the word lazy. Yes. I mean, I think, yes, every organization has people that are lazy or underperforming, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. And they are going to be even more inclined to resist change. And that's where you're going to see some intentional resistance. Like I just don't want to mm -hmm. deal with having to change. Or one thing we often see is uh, highly tenured organizations where you have a lot of people mm -hmm. that are coming up on retirement age they're two years from retirement, the last thing they want to do is deal with some sort of massive overhaul to the way they do their job. They're just trying to, you know, they're trying to get through these last couple of years, you know, so they can, they can uh, hit their retirement. So um, you do see that. I mean, you are, of course, going to have that. But I think in general, if you look at 90% or more of most organizations, it's that, yeah, I want to change. In theory, it sounds good. I want to support the organization. But now that you're talking about changing my job, taking away my spreadsheet, jeopardizing my value, um, reducing the organization's dependency on my personal tribal knowledge, all the stuff I have in my head that makes me valuable, mm -hmm. the heroics I demonstrate by trying to fix problems that are caused by all of our systems. That's the sort of thing that um, will cause the resistance more often than not. Um, so it, any thoughts on that? What are your thoughts? Do you think people in general are um, lazy or just don't want to put in the time and effort to change or you started to get into that a little bit in your, in your last response, but what are your thoughts on that comment? Kyla? Yeah, I think some people are lazy. I don't know that lazy is probably the right turn. I would say more like complacent. 
Um, and I think that's that's one learning, especially if you are a self-motivated entrepreneurial type of of worker uh, that that you look at other um, colleagues that might be totally okay with their role. And I know for me, you know, I I'm always searching for the next sale, right? The next promotion, the next you know big project to undergo. And sometimes it can be difficult to look at other people in the organization and say that that analyst has been doing what they're doing for the last 20 years and they have no uh, you know, goals to get to the next level. And you kind of look at that as a negative thing, but that isn't truly a negative thing, right? They could be very happy and content in that role. And so I, I think taking into account those personalities is important when you look at things like change management. That might not be a, a, a laziness, right? But it might be a comfort level in their their current role. Um, it reminds me of an organization I was in earlier in my career, which was a, a Fortune 200 organization, big company. Um, and our physical workspace was going through a renovation. And you would have thought, you know, the world was coming apart because cubicles were moving floors, teams were moving areas. <laughs> and even something that seems as simple as relocating a department can cause such disruption to people's day to day life that it it creates an energy of of resistance. They don't want to move. They don't want to, you know, go through this transformation, even though it's not a new technology, it's simply moving desks. It can be much more complicated and unnerving to get outside of that comfort or area of influence. So I wouldn't say it's laziness per se, but it it is just a, a comfort in complacency that some people do have that's attached to their overall value within the organization, um, whether it is a system or even a physical space can change that. And we know we saw obviously with the COVID-19 pandemic, that huge disruption or unrest when it came to moving to more of a virtual environment that there was no infrastructure set up in some companies to do that. Yeah, 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 that's very, very true. Um, and, and a great point. Um, Sam Graham over on LinkedIn has a has a great question that sort of broadens this and uh, um, you know, broadens this conversation about resistance mm -hmm. to change, but also takes it beyond just a change management issue and looking at digital transformation strategies in general. And he asked, to what extent is or should digital transformations be limited by technology and to what extent should it lead it? So, you know, maybe sort of tying it back to metaverse, any sort of advanced technologies, emerging technologies, mm -hmm. you know, how, how, you know, do you, do you think organizations need to use these technologies to really push them outside of their comfort zone and look to these emerging technologies as ways to define their, their digital strategy? Um, or should they, you know, do they need to be constrained and limited by the limitations of technology? Do they look outside of traditional technology options if, if there are limitations? What, what are your thoughts on Sam's question here? Yeah, well, great question, Sam, as always. Um, I think there is a, a level of curiosity that creates that competitive advantage when looking at new and different technologies. So in that discovery process, absolutely. Absolutely. If you're a, a department leader, uh, an executive, uh, those types of things, that's your job. 
job, right? To really look out how you're going to expand and grow the business, um, make a better experience for your employees, your customers, everyone involved. But there also is a, a level of, um, of awareness around your ability to do that. And I think that's the one thing that we see a lot of this conversation um, coming around with leadership challenges is a lot of times if you are in that executive role, moving into thinking, oh, this is a great new technology. It's going to be amazing. Everyone's going to love it. You have to really dig into not only your culture, but also your readiness as an organization to utilize these technologies both internally and externally. So to answer Sam's question, absolutely. You should always be looking, using, experiencing these new technologies, especially as a leadership role. But if you are looking to integrate it into your overall organization, you have to know if you are ready to do so. It might be the coolest, shiniest, sparkliest, newest technology, you know, in the game. And that's awesome, right? But if your organization is still very manual based, you have to understand that that is a huge transition to take your business through without having some fundamentals in place um, to know that you will be successful and then you'll get your return on investment, which is really the point of, you know, putting together a, a new technology digital transformation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It makes total sense. Um, you know, another interesting comment here from from Gassan on LinkedIn is, is a feasible change catalyst is what's in it for me. Um, you know, how is it going to help me? How is it going to make my job better? Uh, that sort of thing. And in most cases, you know, most people's jobs can be enabled or can be improved by new technology. Some in some cases they won't be. In some cases they mm -hmm. may perceive their jobs actually getting harder because now you're actually you're asking them to capture new information in a system or do things in a system that maybe they didn't have to before. But in general, uh, it seems as though, you know, there is a what's in it for me for a lot of a lot of organizations. Um, back to the, this sort of change management thread again, coming back to it here. Uh, Chris over on LinkedIn says liberal use of the word automation terrifies people that mm -hmm. they will be replaced. And I, I tend to agree with that. I think that's a that's a word that I kind of wish hadn't come back or, or I kind of wish wasn't so commonly used. Um, but the reality is, I guess that is what the technology is doing. In many cases, you are automating manual processes and codifying it in a system and, and integrating data and that sort of thing. Um, but the perception there is sort of like robotics or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, robotic process automation. It, it's sort of a, a fear-based trigger for a lot of, a lot of people that see automation as a, as a, as a threat to their jobs. Um, what about with our clients? I mean, what are your thoughts or, you know, I know you're on the marketing side, you're not generally super close to the consulting engagements, but do you see our clients, struggling with that where where people are afraid of automation they're afraid of losing their jobs they, they have that fear what are some of your observations from our from our various consulting teams yeah absolutely i actually did a, a recent video for our third stage youtube channel that said stop saying automation um so if i were you i would just completely take it out of your vocabulary and rename it rebrand it something within your communication because that's where these misperceptions lie. And um, many of you that follow us on TikTok know I got roasted for the, the Terminator um, point about automation because that's really what our, our knowledge base is. And that's a huge generalization, right? 
but we have all of these, whether it's, uh, you know, media based, whether it's all kinds of, of different experiences when it comes to robots taking over the world. Um, we use terms like automation and that might just be what it is. We're automating an email. We're automating, um, you know, this process so that you can do a better job more efficiently and get the opportunity to learn new skills, to be promoted in your role, to be more successful so we can give you recognition. recognition. So using words, because words do have power as much as we, we kind of want to roll our eyes and say, you know, my goodness, it's you're not you know, going to completely lose your job. It's an automation that comes from a system. It's not that big a deal. Relax. It really does have the power. So using something like an enhancement or a, a different term um, when you're talking about this within your communication um, plan when it comes to a digital transformation, I think is, is really important. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And you have to, if you do choose to use the word automation, um, you just have to be aware that that is probably going to trigger some sort of negative response or a fear-based response, which leads back to the previous question or the thread we were talking about as it relates to resistance to change and people generally resisting change. And I think part of it is self-inflicted for organizations. They, they use these words and they, they either use words like automation without context, or they just don't give enough detail or context around why we're going through the change, how it affects people, that sort of thing. Um, organizations get so caught up in the, in the changes themselves, like how to, how to define what the changes are, how to build the system, how to test it, train people on it. They get so myopically focused on just deploying technology that they don't think about, you know, what's the average person experiencing and going through and perceiving mm -hmm. as a result of this transformation. So I think that's a, a, a big challenge that organizations have to get through as well. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Kyler and I are here taking questions and talking about emerging technologies, digital strategies, and change in general. We're going to continue the conversation when we come back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 76. And Kyler and I are here taking audience questions and interacting with social media on topics ranging from emerging technologies to change management and everything in between. Um, just a couple, uh, you know, other, other comments here, um, and then we'll, we'll shift gears to the next thread. Mm -hmm. Um, here's a, a LinkedIn user. Um, I'm not sure why it's not telling me who it is. This is from, from Ryan on LinkedIn. Um, it says, I personally think we need to start using the word augmentation. We're augmenting this process so you can focus on those harder to handle tasks. 
So he's sort of given us a, a great talking point or a great example of how you can message things differently. Mm -hmm. And to your point, Kyler, have a better or a more concise use of words to address the fact that people are probably going to resist the change, especially if you just use the word, even the word augmentation. If all you do is use the word augmentation, then that's probably going to stoke fear in people. But if you explain it and unpack what augmentation means and how it benefits and the what's in it for me of people, then it, that's a that's a different story. And that tends to address the change management issue. It starts to address it. That alone is not enough, but that's a good launching point or springboard into how you can have a change strategy to address some of those fears. Absolutely. Yeah. That's you know a great point. I love the augmentation um, aspect of it and just understanding that that it's important for uh, you to understand what your community thinks that means through those readiness assessments, through those polling um, tactics. It's, if you think that it means something, make sure that you understand what everybody else thinks it means. And I think no matter what you say, using that data through qualitative and quantitative practices within your organization to understand, okay, what should my communication plan match up with the way that my organization communicates, right? Um, and and studying that before you go out and just say things that, that might mean something different than what your intention is. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, so shifting gears a bit, here's another thread from LinkedIn that I wanted to touch on here and, and uh, bring to life with the audience and, and with you, Kyler. Mm -hmm. um, and that's uh, comment was related. It was another question I, I posted. Um, and then the conversation on this is still going. So I imagine by the time this podcast is published, there'll be a lot more conversation that, that is added on to this um, online here or on this LinkedIn post. Uh, but this question here is, what do you see as the biggest pros and cons of selecting a very targeted niche solution versus a broader ERP system? For example, implementing a CRM system now versus taking longer to implement a full-blown CRM system. So I, I kind of want to get the, the audience or the community's mm -hmm. feedback on, you know, what are the pros and cons of, of a, a sort of a single ERP or enterprise-wide technology versus more point solutions, more prescriptive or targeted point solutions that you could start deploying that might be able to be deployed faster in, in more of a sort of an agile mentality or environment. Um, but have limited value in some ways, but also limited risk. Um, how do you compare that? Or what are the thoughts of that mm -hmm. versus more of a massive overhaul of enterprise wide systems, for example, doing an ERP system. So I asked that question on LinkedIn, just to get some feedback. And there were there were a couple comments that came through that were were pretty interesting. Um, mm -hmm. You know, one was uh, from Bill on LinkedIn, he said, it all depends on the company state to mm -hmm. the company current state to future state roadmap. If the company needs CRM to help support their growth and the full ERP solution includes that CRM or can easily integrate with that CRM, um, then there's not really an issue. Uh, the key is upfront due diligence on all options and choose the best path for today and tomorrow. So, you know, one thing that Bill mentions in his response here is interesting in that, you know, even if you do opt to go with sort of point solutions in this example, mm -hmm. CRM, you're, you want to deploy a, a customer relationship management or some sort of Salesforce automation for your sales team, but it's something you're doing in the context of a broader ERP system, or it's one module or a first module within a broader ERP or enterprise-wide technology, 
Um, you know, one thing he's alluding to, though, is, is the importance of making sure that you have a broader, longer term mm -hmm. strategy and that you're not just going out and picking one technology to sort of put a Band-Aid on one problem within mm -hmm. the organization, but that you just understand what the overall landscape is and how you're going to tie it all together and what the longer term uh, plan is. What, what are some of your thoughts on that, Kyler? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think sometimes um, when you are choosing a best of breed system, you need to treat it as a full ERP system in the fact that you understand how it will integrate, right? I think that's the key word there is a lot of times, um, you know, my data focused colleagues always teach me that integration is not just flipping a switch. So you have to take that holistic approach, even if you are choosing a more niche system to go within your organization to triage one priority area, you still have to understand, okay, this might be a, a finance-based system or a CRM system, um, customer relationship management system. How will that affect how the user goes through my point of sale and how I manage that contact there. Will that data match? Because that's going to be the most important part is still having a data focused strategy that matches in each system. So you can pull out those valuable insights and see the entire digital journey of the customer, of the process, of whatever you're working with. So it's almost like treating it like a full ERP system so that you can understand which areas of the businesses are going to be influenced by even if you have a supply chain management system, those types of things. Right. Yeah. Very, very well put. And, uh, you know, I think that that broad uh, strategy or that broad view in the context of a longer term digital strategy is real important. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sam from LinkedIn says, when I've seen companies introduce niche solutions first, often find I find that those initial choices restrain later choices and options. And I think it just sort of mm -hmm. goes back to the point of you can go ahead and do those niche solutions or, or sort of targeted technologies to solve specific business problems. But you want to make sure that, you know, if you're doing that for your part of the organization, someone else is doing it for their part or the organization, someone else is doing the same exercise for their part. You know, at some point you, you end up with the spaghetti bowl of, uh, you know, spaghetti mess of systems that don't tie together, don't integrate, aren't aligned on a common strategy or platform or whatever. Um, so I think, you know, just having that bigger picture strategy is is best. I guess the, the challenge with that, though, is that sometimes, you know, especially for larger organizations that we work mm -hmm. with, sometimes you just can't get alignment on what that mm -hmm. longer term strategy is, or it takes forever, not forever, but it takes too long to get that that uh, alignment. And so in the meantime, you have different pockets of the organization that say, OK, well, while we're trying to figure out what we want to be when we grow up over the next few years, we're going to go ahead and deploy a, a new CRM or an HR system or, a mm -hmm. you know, a supply chain set of systems or whatever the case may be. Um, so I think that's the challenge and sort of the tightrope you have to walk, you know, especially if you're a larger organization is, you know, the the need to have that long term strategy and alignment, but also the need to recognize that every month and year that goes by that you're not deploying new technologies or you're not improving, you're, you're falling behind. So mm -hmm. um, do you have any suggestions on how organizations might navigate that tension or that that balance that they need to find? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a, a tough one, especially if you are a global, you know, you know multi-country, humongous organization that is going to take a very long, it's going to take forever, um, as you said. 
So I think that alignment, the only way that you're going to get that, especially in that executive tier, is through uh, a data-driven argument, right? By actually showcasing the leadership missed opportunities, missed revenue, efficiencies, how much cost savings will that have? So really going in with a well-researched, well-armed proposal is going to, nobody can ar argue with data, right? Nobody can argue with um, lost revenue. Obviously, everyone wants to make more money and grow the business. That's going to be the, the vision. But I think if the more evidence you can collect in that um, to put together a, a foolproof argument for the overall um, project within the business, that's going to be the best method for success and persistence and patience in an organization that size. You know, we we recently were talking to a, a very large client and they had been going through just the overall alignment process for three to five years. You know, so understanding that that does take time and with each no, you learn the objections you're gonna be faced with next time. So if you're like me and you think that that's fun, right? Because you're going to wanna to win eventually um, that executive support, then just continue to do what's best for the business and understand that every time there might be an objection, that's a, a reason for you to do more research around the project to understand, is that actually a, a valid point or is that something you know that, uh, that is a misunderstanding within our leadership cheer. And I think that that's really the biggest challenge is siloed leadership or even celebritized leadership within the organization. This godlike um, influencer that is on your executive team that is completely disconnected with the day-to-day functions of the organization, it can be really hard to bridge that gap, which is why that data, that evidence is so important to bring to um, that table to get that alignment and get that sign off on, on a new technology project. Oh yeah, for sure. And just a couple, couple uh, audience comments to sort of build on what you just said, Kyler. Uh, Melissa on LinkedIn says, working with the end in mind and on desired outcomes is mm -hmm. key. It's great. Great way to put it. Great, good, very concise summary of sort yeah. of a best practice to well to address yeah. this balancing act that we're talking about. Um, another comment I wanted to pull up here uh, from our from our chat is um, a great question here from Chris on LinkedIn. He says, "Is there a danger that you end up sticking with the short term solution longer than you should because it ain't broke? I'm dealing with legacy applications that were built 15 years ago, but were forgotten." Um, and just sort of addressing that first part of his question, though, um, you know, whether it's a new technology or even if you're talking about a an older technology that's been in place, in this case, 15 years ago, he's talking about a system that was sort of forgotten about. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of like if you put a Band-Aid on a problem, it sort of alleviates the pain to where you might just say, yeah, I don't really need to go get that longer term fix or that longer term solution because it's working. It's not we're not bleeding anymore. We're not. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we're not at the mercy of really, really limited technology, but on the flip side, we're not taking advantage of what, you know, emerging and evolving and advancing technologies could, could do for us. Mm -hmm. So is that a dynamic that you've seen, or do you think is a challenge for organizations, Kyler, as far as, um, 
as far as just getting to back to your term earlier, complacent, mm-hmm. they become complacent because it's good mm-hmm. enough, whatever it is they have, whether it's a new system or not. Um, and so if I'm complacent, I don't necessarily need to go with the bleeding edge technology because I don't, I don't have to, there's, I'm not going to mm-hmm. go out of business. I'm not going to, at least in the short term, I'm not going to be materially, uh, detrimented if that's a word of verb, um, by, by systems. But, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question because I think you can look at it from a few few different ways. And it all comes back to that fundamental assessment of the organization. So if it's not broke, you know, what are your overall priorities as a business? You have to understand that. Are you trying to go into a new marketplace to a new customer base? Are you trying to um, create more efficiencies in your manufacturing projects? What are your goals? Because if you do have a system that's functioning, that's not, you know, creating a negative impact, maybe it is okay okay to to learn for a little while but until you can align on the priorities that you have as an organization there's going to be uh you know no direction and that's going to be really the the most important thing and you know to your point you you really do need a cio a cdo you know i know you talked to rid one a few weeks back about what that role is that has an innovation lens that is constantly pushing for growth, measuring the marketplace, establishing a digital asset technology advantage um, within your overall business. And then lastly, what Chris's comment and question made me come back to is, is really cybersecurity. And that's one of the big things with a lot of these older systems. If they're quote unquote forgotten, right, that can be an open door to some really significant cybersecurity risks. So if you are, you know, a, a technology executive or a team leader, you need to have a close audit of all of those different systems to understand what is actually one on your menu within systems that you're already utilizing, but also how are you making sure that you're protecting all of these different systems, especially if they haven't been updated, because that's an open door to a lot of hackers, um, especially in these bigger organizations where a lot of times they do have some sort of legacy system that just hasn't been touched in a really long time. Yeah, you're you're sort of uh, touching on a potential solution here of of how to how to break through that complacency because in some cases or in many cases you know, the way I'm interpreting or understanding what you're saying is that maybe we're complacent but we shouldn't be you know we think everything's fine yeah. we think that yeah. the old system or the newer system is good enough but what you're saying when you talk about cybersecurity or some of the other things you mentioned um, maybe things aren't as okay as we think just because we don't see you know we don't see the you know, an immediate need for change necessarily. And that's, again, the, the role of leaders and strong mm-hmm. leadership within the organization is needed to communicate and articulate what those uh, burning platforms or uh, needs for change are and where they're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just that baseline of awareness too. Is so much of this comes down to having the knowledge of what are your current systems? Are you ready for a new system? What is the competitive advantage in your marketplace? You know, those those types of of different pieces, you have to continue to audit the organization, audit the culture, get those those data points to make specific and insightful decisions with where you're going to go as a company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, that's that's a really good 
sort of a capstone or summary of, of a lot of what we've been talking about here is, is defining, you know, sort of defining what it is you need as an organization and letting everything else follow behind that. But then once you have decided and defined that longer term strategy, then of course, um, you know, having a, a solid change strategy and a way to address the human side of, of change is, is so, so important. Um, well, good. Well, there's a lot more we could we could talk about here that we we didn't get to, but um, in the interest of time, we'll, we'll wrap up today's conversation. It's already been uh, an hour here, so I want to uh, thank you for your time, Collar. Thanks for being on the hot seat with me and uh, taking some of these tough questions and controversial topics and unpacking them and bringing them to life here uh, on the show. So thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I always enjoy um, a good Q&A and thank you to our audience for always being so interactive. Um, it's such a a fun thing for us to learn from you as well. So thank you for all this great insight. Okay. Thanks, Kyler. Great conversation. And thanks to the audience for all the great questions. Those are really good topics and talking points. And uh, we went in some really interesting directions there, which is always what makes it fun having the, the live audience here. So thanks for being part of that. Uh, we're going to unpack some of these topics here uh, in just a moment. But first, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 76. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham and Kyler and I just had a, a great engaging conversation with social media and a live audience talking about emerging technologies and how to manage change and manage the human sides of some of these emerging technologies. Now that we've had a few moments to digest that conversation, what were some of your thoughts or takeaways from that conversation, Kyler? Yeah, well, I always love the, the audience engagement when it comes to um, these subjects that we're passionate about and we get to see their passion come through. Um, and you know me, I always love the divisive comments because that really just, you know, cuts to the heart of the argument of, of those types of things. Um, I think when it comes to emerging technologies, we, we still have obviously a lot of things to solidify and define. But I think everyone came together and could kind of agree that without a strategy, there's no point in, you know, investing in emerging technologies uh, yet. So I'm, I'm flipping the script a little bit around on you. What would be a, a realistic timeline if you were an organization for saying, hey, I know that my processes aren't ready for AI yet. They need to be cleaned up. They need to be tightened up, evaluated. But I know that I want to automate this X level of manufacturing at some point. What are the foundations and what is a realistic time frame for a business to kind of grow up to meet those emerging tech? 
I can't give you a specific time frame just because so much of it depends on where the company is starting from and how advanced you are already or not and uh, how much work you have left to do before you, you can get there. Um, some of the things you have to think about, though, to determine how long it's going to take you and how soon you can get ready for something like an AI would be certainly cleaning up your processes, like you mentioned, and, and cleaning up your data, too, by the way. Uh, with AI in particular, you're not going to be able to use AI effectively if, if your data is not clean and pretty well governed and under control. So data migration, data cleansing, data governance, all that is really important to get cleaned up and solidified before you embark on, on a path down, especially with AI and machine learning. Um, another one is going to be the org design and really just defining what people's roles and responsibilities and what the processes are going to be. A lot of times companies focus so much on the AI and all the great benefits they're going to get out of it, all the money they're going to save through automation, all that good stuff. And that's important, but you're going to get a backlash from the organization and you're going to create a lot of chaos and unnecessarily unnecessary morale issues if you don't fully define and articulate how people's jobs are going to look in the future. Um, too often what people say is, oh, great, we're going to automate your job so uh, you don't have to do all the crappy work that you do now. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, that's offensive because I've been doing this for 20 years and you're telling me my job is sort of manual and worthless or whatever, it, or, or that could be the perception at least. Um, second of all, that's really vague. That doesn't tell me what exactly. I'm going to do. What am I going to do with 50% of my time now that I'm using to track stuff in spreadsheets? You're telling me it's going to go away. But what am I going to do? And so you have to you have to paint that vision instead of just saying, oh, well, you're not going to have to do as much manual stuff. Well, then what am I going to do? Does that mean I have a job? Now, now you're making me question whether or not I'm even going to have a job when you do that. So you have to have a really clear vision of, well, here's exactly what you're going to do. Now you're going to start using the system um, that's going to give you, you know, automated reports or whatever the use case is. Automated reports that does stuff automatically that you used to have to manually capture. But now what you're going to do is you're going to go look for the exceptions. You're going to dig into problems or whatever the case may be. I'm making stuff up on the fly here. But you have to define what it is that person is going to do to replace the work that was once done manually and, and is now going to be done by emerging tech. So companies don't think that through very well in general. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why some of these emerging technologies aren't catching on as much as they should is because employees and humans aren't aren't excited enough about them because we've created our own resistance to change as a result of that. Yeah. And, and I think that that communication nugget, if you could focus on one thing, it would be how do you communicate both internally to your point, but also externally. It reminds me of an experience that I had recently um, at a hotel with my husband. We don't get out much. We have two toddlers. So we went to this fancy new hotel casino um, for his birthday. And the receptionist checking us in said, do you know how to work the elevators? And Adam answered, yes, you just swipe the card and it takes you um, to the floor thinking of you go in, it's an access point and you push the button. That And she said, yes, that wasn't the experience at all. You swiped it at this kiosk outside of the elevators and then it identified an elevator took you to the appropriate floor based on the key that you put in, which was not at all what we thought it was, which was mm -hmm. hilarious on, on our end because we're two technology-focused career people that could not figure out how to work an elevator. Right. But because of that communication, our experience wasn't exactly what the brand would have wanted. Right. It was funny and silly for us. But imagine if we had our two kids with us and all of our stuff and we couldn't figure out how to get 
to our room. That would have been a real challenging experience. And it's the same thing with with any new internal technology. If you say things like, hey, Eric, your job is going to be automated. And I, as your manager, think that's awesome. But you, as Eric here, oh, your job is going away. It's because I didn't effectively communicate with you um, of what that experience will look like. And so that I think that's really crucial. And it's almost breaking it down to a, a a conversation with a child, not at all saying like that's the intellectual level, but that allows you to identify any areas of misinterpretation that could exist and clarify. Yeah, absolutely. And that that point of confusion and uncertainty, that's the stuff that derails tech adoption and digital transformations and automation initiatives in general. So I think that's that's super important and great points. Absolutely. Well, such a joy always to be on with our audience. And um, we do live streams every morning uh, or every morning. I wish we did them every morning. I'm so excited <laughs> about them. I like to do them <laughs> every morning, but we do them every Tuesday morning um, and then on Fridays as well for our Digital Stratosphere podcast. Um, so we love to hear from our audience, all of our stakeholders. And when you do leave comments after that episode has aired, uh, we still go in and answer you and interact with you. So thank you so much for all of, of the great um, uh, collaboration in that that stream. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks to everyone for for joining that. And thank you, Kyler, for being on the hot seat or sharing the hot seat with me as you get these uh, random unexpected questions. That's the that's the beauty and the stressful part at the same time of, of doing those, those live discussions is that you, you don't know what's coming your way. So thanks for your help with that as well. And uh, thanks to everyone who watches the show. And if you if you don't mind, um, actually, if you've watched the show, whether this is your first time uh, or you've seen us in multiple episodes, if you don't mind, just uh, give us a like on whatever platform you're watching. Give us a rating. That sort of thing really helps the algorithm and it helps get the podcast out there to more people. So if you don't mind, just uh, give us a like and a, and a mention or, or a, a review of any sort that that helps us. So we really appreciate that in advance as well. So. Uh, we appreciate everyone being here today. We're going to look forward to seeing you next Wednesday. Again, every Wednesday, you can find new episodes of this show on whatever platform you're watching or listening on. You can find those new episodes. So be sure to check us out there. Hope you all have a great week in the meantime, and we'll see you next time on Transformation Ground Control. Mm -hmm.